The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. are now recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and abe is he, he's not here he's, he's not into our our shenanigans with these commentaries we've been doing but out now is a film podcast where abe and i discuss new movies weekly however <clears throat> every now and then we have to take special bonus episodes whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something a bit different but this is one of our fun commentary tracks it is in fact the final commentary track in this Hannibal Lecter series that we've been doing since january we've gone over the various hannibal films starting with Manhunter, followed by Silence of the Lambs, then, of course, Hannibal. And last month, we just talked about Red Dragon. So what more fitting way than to end where we began, and even before then, that's convoluted, with Hannibal Rising, the prequel to to, to all of it, the, the, the start, the start of all this stuff. Where does Hannibal come from? We're going to find out when we watch Hannibal Rising, the 2007 massive blockbuster critical hit Hannibal Rising. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot we're going to deal with tonight, but it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And joining me to discuss Hannibal Rising, we have from Wise to Blue and host of the flawed, the Brandon Peters show. Don't butt heads with him at the fish market. It's Brandon Peters. It's for you, Hannibal. Nice to be here. Okay. Great. Thank you. Also joining us. Also joining us. Never asking about his Lithuanian cuisine. It's Yancey Burns. Hey, fellas. <laughs> a massive follow-up. <laughs> like you had an extra 10 seconds to think about something while he was playing. <laughs> no, we do. I just cut to the But a simple high. Nice. <laughs> Lastly, joining us from Forbes, he likes to keep he likes to keep things cheeky. It's Scott Mendelson. <laughs> Always a pleasure. If I knew we were supposed to have theme music, I would have found the bells of Notre Dame. I'll remember that for next time. <laughs> well, how how are you all doing this evening? Oh, been waiting for this one. Opposite of Manhunter, <laughs> as Al Pacino once said, "What a picture." <laughs> 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 well, good. That is exactly the attitude we're supposed to have when we talk about Hannibal Rising, a film that definitely exists. Uh, we're going to go over it. The plan here is as a commentary track. <laughs> as a commentary it's track. Like tonight, where I sort of re-examine my life choices. <laughs> as a commentary track, we're going to be talking over the film. We're in a bit of a unique scenario here because Scott and I have the theatrical version of Hannibal Rising, while Brandon and Nancy have the unrated cut. Uh, meaning that their version lasts a whopping nine minutes longer because there was a lot to uh, cut out before they released the unrated and out of control cut of Hannibal Rising. Um, so we'll be um, dealing with that as it comes. And ideally, we'll just all learn something as far as how edits work on My these movies. My sensibilities could not handle the unrated content of Hannibal Rising. We just hate ourselves nine minutes more than you two. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it is. But yeah. 
we're gonna we're gonna talk about this movie. We're all gonna have the sound on me. We're gonna talk over it. So if you plan on following along, where we all have it paused currently is at the Dino De Laurentiis logo, which is a lion, not to be confused with the Lionsgate logo, which is a constellation. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that's an old one. It's clouds now. Uh, but yeah there's a ddlc logo with a line underneath it that's where we all have it pause currently and we're gonna on the sound of go press play and just start talking about the movie that is hannibal rising uh so are you are you guys ready for what's what some would call the best of the hannibal Lecter saga who are these people that's a lie name them it's the best Hannibal movie that takes place before Red Dragon. It's the best Hannibal movie that came out in 2007. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, when did when did um, when did um, Alexander come out? 2006. 2004. Okay. That's leading up to Hannibal. We need a Hannibal movie. All right, like another Han- Hannibal the Conqueror. Anyway, let's do this. I'm gonna count down. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Maybe the first commentary track ever for this movie. Yeah. Is there a commentary track on that disc? Yeah, Brandon, you you imported the German Blu-ray. Yeah. Does it have a commentary track on it? The first people to want to talk about or record a commentary about this movie after it came out. The, to be fair, oh, we've done other movies where we're also the where, where we're also the first to record a commentary track for the movie. So Often the Hannibal Rise just it just it just joins Look, good. Call back to Hannibal. Call pig. back to Hannibal. Pigs. Exactly. There it is. There it is. Right there. So, fun. so this is Lithuania. Is that the idea? Uh, yeah. 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 So this movie is merely made to hold on to an IP. That's that's the only reason this got made. And Thomas Harris only wrote the book because Dino De Laurentiis said, I'm going to make this so you can either write it or someone else is. And we have now Hannibal Rising. Generally a good way to write a book. Um, yeah. You know, obligation. <laughs> and in that, in that line, it's about as good as it could be, considering it is just a film deal. Yeah. Like, he could, like, like it's one thing to be like Warren Beatty who like wants to hold Dick Tracy, which we talked about by like, I'll just film a 30 minute special. That's easy. This is like, he devoted like, I assume months of his time to uh, like hundreds of pages to write Hannibal Rising, a book that he had no interest in writing to begin with. I mean, and I look at, look at this something. movie, look at this movie, like for something that you want to do cheaply. And like, I, it's not, this is not a huge, cheap movie. it's not like it looks this no, yeah. opening, opening flashback thing. It looks more expensive than all the movies put together combined. It's period oh, piece, it, well, I mean, war stuff, explosion. Like, yeah, it has more explosions than all the movies combined. Like, <laughs> I mean, we're not paying the enormous salary of Anthony Hopkins here. Yes, so oh, yeah. and they're filming probably overseas, which is probably possibly cheaper. But oh, it just, I, I mean, yeah, when you set a movie in 1944 Lithuania, you're probably going for yeah. the cheaper locations at that point. But it, it looks more expensive. Like that's yeah, this is a well, polished. Yeah. High, you know, quote unquote, high class picture, like quality notwithstanding. Visually and stuff, there are elements here to make yeah. a great movie, but like they just don't know how to make it interesting. They're like, well, we can shoot the pretty looking stuff, but it's not altogether interesting, and uses some cheap, you know, generic tactics, like when going to the weird slow mo and flashback stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, we can talk about a, a third sequel to a best picture. It has to be high toned. 
That's why it's that's why it's the two hours long because it's the third sequel to a Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's holding on to the, like the the yeah. like assumed prestige that comes with something like this. As far as like it's a handleable movie, we have to treat it with a level of respect. And you got Peter Weber here directing. He directed what Girl with Girl with the Pearl Earring, right? So I mean, you, right. you have not not that that's like you know the answer to who do we get to direct the next Hannibal movie but as far as like we want to create a certain vision as far as something with that what feels they're consistent doing with this with one yeah he's type good. of character yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It, it like in those respects it adds up and as far like as we've all recently watched this to prepare for this commentary track do any of us think this is like a terrible movie no 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 i, I think I mean, the, it's, still, I, it's still got some stuff it's still got it's an unnecessary movie nobody wanted to know about animals backstory but considering that it had to happen it could have been a lot worse i mean this is the batman begins effect too that came out a couple years prior casino royale and then everybody starts going well let's tell the origin story of this and it directly affects the writing here harris obviously saw those movies because there's some weird like handshakes with those uh, especially batman begins that comes with this and even as far as like making another Hannibal film, it's like, well, we adapted all the books. Uh, Dino just called Anthony Hopkins and he looked at the caller ID and he just did pick up the phone. So it's like, well, I guess we go backwards. I guess that's the only like reasonable way to go at this point. Yeah, it's got that Kill Bill checklist of getting my revenge type thing with it too. Uh, I which stood out most. I mean, again, I watched it yesterday for the first time since Blu-ray and whenever it came out on Blu-ray, 2007, 2008. And what struck me about it is how much it felt like the Magneto prequel that, that Fox was always threatening to make. Uh, right. Uh, which is another product you know, of Batman Begins time. Yeah. They're like, well, let's go, yeah. go start the X-Men from the I beginning. Mean, you know, when people saw X-Men First Class and they, they had the scene where Michael Fassbender kills a handful of Nazis in the pub and they go, oh, I want to see a whole movie with, you know, Magneto, Nazi Hunter. And that's basically this, for better or yeah. worse. Um, and I do wonder, without giving this film too much credit, would this exact film have been treated with more huzzas had it been an X-Men movie? Yeah. In the, to a certain extent that that especially back then when they're like oh wow it's a comic book movie that looks like a prestige right. period drama the really point yeah. is expectations that that cast the die yeah. in everything still to this day it's expectations i'm looking at this thinking of yeah. sons of the lambs if i was thinking of an x-men movie i'd be giving it more credit yeah, I, I, yeah. Not to. I think this gets a notch better if you have a better lead in this movie too yes. like i i don't think gaspar de Lille is very good at all. Like I, in your face it looks great, but he's way yeah. too like. Oh, it's a Hannibal that I could take on a date. Like no, no, no. It's not what I, <laughs> that I, also looks like Joker before the chemical accident. Yeah, like you're talking about. You're talking about. Um, well, he looks like Crispin Glover too, a little bit. Um, yeah, but That's if we're talking about X Men, Fastbender could have carried this easily. Yes. Easily could have carried this. Um, well, he was busy. He was making that three hundred money this year, so he didn't right. have time to do this. <laughs> um, and I think the issue with this, and frankly, a lot of movies like this, you know, that are you know Batman Begins type origin stories for characters that aren't necessarily in that sandbox, is that you're working backwards mm-hmm. instead of a movie like Batman Begins where you have 
you know, the very, you know, do you have an origin story that makes sense, that is relatable, that has scenes and tropes and stuff that people will accept? And then you go, okay, well, how can I make this unique? How can I make this different? How can I make this stand out beyond just being another comic book origin story? But with something like this, you take a, a property that obviously isn't that, and you say, okay, how can I make it more like a generic comic book origin story? And that's, to me at least, a big reason why, excuse me, comic book or comic book movies have so dominated the Hollywood landscape the last few years. Is you have the comic book movies that are, to a certain extent, evolving by appropriating genre, appropriating you know other kinds of movies, and being more than just a comic book movie. While Hollywood has reacted by taking a bunch of IP and trying to make them more like a generic comic book picture. So you have, you know, if audience, audiences, you know, they can either see the real thing, you know, Wonder Woman, that is a comic book movie and also, or they have something like King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which is a character that doesn't have a lot of interest. And that, that, that film is fashioned into, how can we make this as much like a generic comic book movie as possible? So you have the, you know, brand X that tastes like brand X, or you have the brand name that adds a little bit of spice to it because it can't coast just on the brand name. Mm -hmm. uh, right, that's, I think, I'm going to yeah, stop that, rambling. No, that, that's, that's why you're Scott Mendelson. That's really spot on. I mean, I'm thinking as I'm watching this, Hannibal Lecter is not like Batman, a character who, it, it wouldn't seem like his, his character was created by some terrible thing that happened, like Batman. It he wasn't like forged in war. He rides your beat and he's an esthete, and that's it. The idea that he needs to have a background like Batman where he went through this trauma, it is. It doesn't really feel like the Hannibal Lecter we've met before. He needs to always be a villain. Like, that's... Yeah, like, oh, well... I don't know. Um, this, this is closer to the, to the slasher model they could have taken it, where it's literally Hannibal taking somebody down, you know, one scene after the next. Yeah, but I mean, we... we, we We've lost that already when you get to Hannibal, right? As far as what we're going to do with these, this movie series, like it's our, like, uh, that's not exactly, like, this isn't even, there's nobody left from the series that can draw him in. They just have the, no, I, I get it. But it's, but as far as forming a story and like modeling Hannibal as an anti-hero, like we've already got to that point just from the sequel to silence of the lambs. Like he's not a villain in that movie. Like, and this is just a natural extension of that at that point, as far as how do we keep this character, if, if, you know, franchisable, we did Red Dragon, which is, you know, already a book and already establishes him as a supporting character that is basically just not not a factor to the main story. So now we're at this place where it's like, okay, we got to introduce who, who Hannibal, where did he come from? And yeah, a brave, a more brave film could just make him relentlessly evil <laughs> like, and, and make well, the people that he's going at, make the people that he's going after uh, not just be, you know, non-sympathetic villains, but just people. Like mm -hmm. that's that's a way to go. And yeah, ironically, I would could have been. ironically, and, and I'm not entirely defending the picture, but I think you could argue that Rob Zombie's Halloween tried that game, where you have a, a classic movie villain who is given a somewhat sympathetic backstory, but is still a remorseless villain who kills people that don't deserve to die. Yeah, um, I mean, even before his like even before alongside the fact that he had a Basically, that he had Bill Forsyth in his life, he was still like murdering animals for no apparent reason. Like, right, he was, right. like, it wasn't that sympathetic, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's the same year as this, too. Yes, it came out the same year, big year for, for, for origins. 
a lot of this. One of the prequels came out in 2007. I think this points to a larger idea, like what Scott is saying too about modern movies is some movies are just not franchisable, really. Some movies don't lend themselves to that. In a healthier world, we would have wanted Thomas Harris to come up with something new that was not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. yeah. He can't. He has to. This is the only thing you can do is to keep grinding the Silence of the Lambs thing. Well, the, the thing we so learned is do does anybody want to see it without movie. Hopkins in a, in a theater? I'd do it anyway. TV TV's no. free to check out. <laughs> TV you don't have to go. Well, it's not so. But TV. You can well, even in. there, nobody watched. Yeah, generally speaking, nobody, nobody watched. Well, yeah. It on the cult I mean, show. Again, yeah. It's a great show, but you know it was more blonde about than actually watched. Um, and yeah, I mean to a certain extent, you know, this is it's another example of a trend, and you could argue whether it started with Santa Claus the movie in 85 or the mummy in 99 or Alice in Wonderland in 2010, where you're taking these properties that are very well known and to a certain extent, maybe very well liked, but aren't conventional action adventure fantasy pictures and trying to cram them into that box with mixed success. Obviously the mummy was a great movie and a solid hit. Alice in Wonderland, Obviously, nobody's favorite Burton film, but it did make a billion dollars. Um, and then, you know, Santa Claus, the movie, which I've always found fascinating in that it's it's the Sopplins who produced Superman. And it's a remake of the Superman movie, you know, almost beat for beat. Um, never seen and it's, it's very much. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I've never seen that. Oh. I haven't either. What, who uh, is, who's good, Santa Claus? It's interesting. Who is Santa Claus? Uh, honestly, I don't remember. John Lithgow no, plays the evil twin owner that's basically Lex Luthor. Um, but it, it's very much... It's a three-act story where the first act is this mythical origin story. The second act is you know, the big city adventure where Santa Claus sort of makes a public appearance and starts doing the Santa Claus stuff. And then the third act, you have a corporate bad guy that's, that's revealed and it's going to do a bad thing and now Santa Claus has to stop him. It's Mr. Lebowski. Um, That's who again, Santa Claus is. It's, it's David Huddleston. Not Huddleston. 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 Yeah. Let's uh, um, t- hold on real quick. Let's let's talk about this movie a little bit because we're getting like some significant yeah. things happening. We're at a point where Hannibal's family has been mur- like his parents are dead. It's just him and his sister, and now we have evil Nazis that have taken over his. Are they even Nazis? What are they? They're not Nazis. So he's <laughs> not he's Nazis. backtracked. He's backtracked. There are sympath. There are Russians who just kind of are like mercenaries. They're like, okay, we will hang with go. you, Nazis. We will. They're not really picking aside guys. Yeah, so he kind of walks live. back Hannibal's comment in the book and the movie that his sister was eaten by Nazis. They're like not good enough to be. They're like Lithuanian wannabe Nazi. So mm-hmm. he just used Nazi shorthand to get around the, the specifics of his. his well, it wasn't device. thought of yet. So yeah, oh, a lot of this, this, this there was a lot of it in the Hannibal book. The backstory. I feel like this flashback was in the yes. the Hannibal, right? Yeah. Absolutely. There is a a. I don't remember if it's actually a flashback or if it's just him telling a story. It's him telling. He tells yeah. Clarice when he's trying to convert yeah. her um, towards the end of the book. Um, and now we get a C because we're like, oh, I wonder what that looked like. Well, here it is, folks. No one. And this is back <laughs> when uh, this is pre Amazing Spider Man when uh, Risa Fons was like the next <laughs> big thing, where it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's gonna take over the world. He still and was so funny in Notting Hill. Now he's eating a. Hill. <laughs> and uh, 
Kevin McKidd was a pretty big deal at this time. He had Spart- he was on, he Spartacus. He was on Rome at that and, time. Uh, Journey- on, no, oh, Rome. 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 And then Journeyman um, did that. And now he's been on like Grey's Anatomy for like 90 years. And the guy who's in Rob Zombie's movie 31 is in here, isn't he? Oh, uh, Richard Brake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's Richard also in Brake, the Halloween yeah, too, his second Halloween. Oh, and he was Joe Chill circle. in Batman Begins. So he's, he's, Chills, the other he's thing. beginning That's where a, I recognize begins. him. Thank you. Yeah. There's a great death scene in the Halloween too, where he's oh like, yeah, he's like playing shock, and then Michael Myers kills him. It's terrific. Yeah, you got a nice little set of the villains there. I feel a little bit like when this movie started, when I was watching it today, I instantly, as soon as it was Lithuania in 1945, I felt a little numb. And as soon as Rafe Rice Eifens is saying "shoot the Jew in the head," it feels like yeah, this is 15 years after Schindler's List, and this idea of this is what the war feels like in movies now. It's starting to feel a little bit um, rote, and it doesn't have that shock value anymore. And it feels a little yeah. unpleasant to see it set against that. A little so bit because like, when they were shooting people in the head, it was shocking at the time. And you can see how it gets sort of absorbed here. Well, but I don't. I don't think it's trying to be a definitive Holocaust tale. To be fair, I think it's, it's shorthanding based off other things yeah, exactly. that are already established. You know, it's they, cheating. They, it's yeah, yeah, and there's just one of many ways in this film where they stack the deck to make sure that under no circumstances do you feel sorry for any of the people that he's hunting, even after you know years and years after the war when they've gone on to live relatively normal lives. And they really pull it on Kevin McKidd. They like really yeah. they're like they're like okay, just would, co- just so you're sure, just so you're sure. Yeah. I know. Probably I know what you're saying. Was I, I, that Hannibal needed to be more. Everybody liked him already enough in Silence of the Lambs. It's fun to like somebody who's a total amoral guy who has his own rules. Why would they think? What's the thing that? Well, I guess Scott already explained it. Why are we suddenly dealing with anti-hero Hannibal when he's perfectly fine as, frankly, pretty humanized character in Silence of the Lambs? He's a psychopath cannibal. There's only so much humanizing you can do, you know. Because yeah, I think that's, it's, you know, it's the trope. Thinking that he has, he has, he has a, he has a way of handling this. It's like, how can a studio film make this work? And his eyes is, you know, he's looking at the numbers. He's looking at like, I don't know, American Psycho, and being like, well, that didn't do very well. I'm going to do something that makes me makes him a hero. I'm going to do something that makes him, you know, likable enough to an to an audience in his eyes, regardless of how effective that is as a actual piece of cinema. He's just thinking about the numbers. Oh. It's like, yeah, make Hannibal. It'll make him a, a, a fun guy to be around. And if this is a success, we can make another one where he can mm-hmm. still be an antihero. You can take out other criminals and stuff was getting hopkins to do another one just off the table like i i just it's i'd weird. say so <laughs> like he, he did he did the sequel he did the prequel it's like yeah. what like him unless they're backing up brinks trucks into his house like i don't know what else he thinks he's gonna get out of this at that point <laughs> i mean if he likes playing the character i mean it's been what this is like four I, years after I feel like he would have done it for five years. Yeah, I did. Let's not pay him. Um, well, also, I think to an extent, along with what, what Aaron's saying, and he's correct, there also is a, a decent sized fan base that kind of views Hannibal already as a quasi sympathetic anti hero. Um, so the idea of him being a almost classically romantic Avenger. Yeah, you know, you know, he he kills the people that that murdered his sister. He rescues the damsel in distress while looking ridiculously handsome while doing it. Yada yada yada. That is playing to a certain fan base that already exists for this franchise. You know, the people that you know, 
not to repeat myself, but people that were, were very serious about shipping Clarice and Hannibal. That it wasn't just, you know, morbid fascination. It was, you know, something they actually wanted. Stanthony Hopkins. Is that where they are? <laughs> uh, um, again, I'm not defending what, you know, even then was like, okay, this is exactly how you make a movie that loses a lot of money. You know, it, it's a lesson that, you know, unfortunately, not to be overly I mean, broad, the, but Hollywood is yet to learn. The, you know, seven years later, becomes, we Dracula on the, the question becomes, like, do you think there's a successful version of this movie with an audience where it is just him as a straight-up killer that doesn't have as much of a sympathetic backstory? Because I don't think it is. I don't think there's uh, more money to be made. I don't think that. so, because I think it's, it's... I think the franchise was you know, not really a franchise so much as Silence of the Lambs was so good that people wanted to see yeah. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter doing his thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Hannibal did great even without Jodie Foster because it was a direct sequel to Silence of the Lambs. It was 10 years later. It was sold as Anthony Hopkins. And then Red Dragon made a little bit less because it was, you know, diminishing returns. We've already seen this twice. There's really there's hardly anybody from the old movie in it, yada yada yada. Um, and then we get to this where again it's the classic mistake of, you know, it's not just the IP. You know, people don't care yeah, about Hannibal Lecter as a generic concept. Of, what's the history then? I'm sure Scott, you're the guy to answer this. What's the history of Franchise extensions that have nobody in them. Like, are they ever like Dumb and Dumber? Or are they ever successful? If there's no connection, Triple X State of the oh. Union, of course. Um. Yeah, <laughs> he's in both of them. This has nobody. No, no, I no. Um, lift the sequel. He's it's just Sam Ice Jackson's there. Sam Jack, Jack, yeah, Sam Jackson's back. Star, right, yeah. Star. I, I, I'm struggling to think of one to be honest. Because even Tokyo Drift That's was like, a bomb commercially. It's, you know, the franchise almost died on the vine after that one. Um, after being one of the best in the series, I know. It's unfortunate. Wait, we're talking an no. incontinuity sequel with nobody. They've just stretched it to the point like this where they don't have anybody coming back. They're just counting on the IP to bring in the... Was, uh, well, was, uh, Viva, was Viva Rock Vegas a hit? No. Uh, Friday the 13th, part Let's, three in 3D cool. was a... Uh, well, that's the thing. Is, I'm sure there's probably horror movies. Horror, horrors are outliers, though, in that scenario. Yeah. I think well, we're talking about a horror, so... Right, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Okay, well, horror, okay look, well, what's a horror that's not like a... a yeah, no, no non-slash. I get you, I get you. Um, not a, Yeah, like what, what fits with this model that we're watching right now? Golly. So I'm trying to think of like successful ones. Oh. Uh, Trying to think of any right now, actually. I mean, are we, that, that, that isn't also like well. You'd have like, to do a whole like, with a whole. Are we stuff like Star Trek? Well, James well, Bond can't count because all the background players usually carry over to at least one Bond. Yeah, you, you can reboot with like a starry um, fighting cast, but you can't go to this like we're trying to cut funds by casting nobodies. I mean, in this, it's Gong Lee who's the, who got the big money. I'm assuming it would have been. You know, Isabella Rossellini <laughs> ten years before that, probably, or 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 Catherine Deneuve. Also, an interesting angle to take. Um, we have, have this Lithuanian orphan who like gets rescued by his uncle's Japanese wife. Well, in the book, his uncle is alive, and he gets him out. He finds out that he's at that orphanage and pulls him. Chinese wife, Count sorry. Count Lecter. That's his uncle, Count Lecter. Long considered one of the world's most beautiful. So they've changed. There's, there's no, there's no big changes in the book. It's just 
uh, how they get from A to B in a couple spots changes. So, uh, and the ending's a, a bit different, but the same kind of. So <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. You'll have it's to wait little, ten extra minutes for me to tell. So, I'm actually kind of a little bit like. Uh, he looks yeah. a little bit like this guy. Who does he look like? Sorry. He looks a little bit like what's his name? The 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 no, nah, maybe not. I was gonna say he looked like the the ex-husband of Angelina Jolie, the first one, the the guy from train spotting, but but no, he doesn't really look like Oh Johnny him. Lee Miller? Yeah. yeah. Scott's look favorite like Sherlock. I look at it in a movie. I can't even read the performance because he looks so Unpleasantly self-absorbed. So he's very Bruce Wayne. Batman Begins. Like, look at, like, yeah. look at his outfit. Like, what? Yeah. That? What were they? Yeah, he's a brunette. I get it. He makes, <laughs> he makes a Jonathan Rhys Myers protagonist look humble. <laughs> Jonathan Rhys Myers. Yeah, exactly. He looks like yeah, what was most what was Jonathan Rhys Myers doing? It seems like he would be in this movie. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I'm sure. They asked him. Well, they they got they got the they got the Dollar General version. Yeah. And they probably would have asked, what's his name, too? Uh, the Scarecrow, right? Oh, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy yeah. would have been a very interesting young Hannibal yeah. actor. He must have passed. <laughs> My wife would have watched this movie lately. <laughs> he might have been, like, he might have been a little too old at this point, though, still. Brandon, what, what, are you, what are you seeing right now? Are you, are you, are you, we just saw like a dream sequence, and now he's woken up, and he's like with Gongli. Oh, I'm seeing uh, some guard opening a fence. And uh, yeah, checking something. Okay. Uh, dogs are I, eating. I, um, I, I, I have Hannibal's about to like cut a plant. He's going to cut his finger on accident. That's I'll tell you what, you guys aren't missing anything. I'm watching Renegade cut, I think, because he's sitting down in like a study with Gongli and he's wearing like a nice sweater. Yeah, I got, I've got dogs pulling on a fence and a body coming out of a bag. Oh no! It's a it's I a because he's it's, oh he's he's, he's still he's, escaping. Oh yeah, we're yeah we're ahead of that. She's he's already met Gong Lee. Oh, yeah. He's she's sewing his she's sewing his finger well, right now. Well, you missed him. That scarecrow he looked at. Well, <laughs> he used it as a decoy, just so you know, on a fence. Who was it? We saw we we saw him pull we saw him pull out his iconic uh, tool, the uh, the small sickle. That yep, was the other yep. thing too. Children of the <laughs> corn. Hannibal rises. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now he's on a train. Do you remember the guy like when he gets called into the principal's cool. office and and they're and they're like, uh, "You're not supposed to beat up the bullies." Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, so, so you, you guys are with Gong Lee here. Remember he's that like, she was going to yeah. be the original in Casino? She was going to have the Sharon Stone part. Gong Lee, that was going to be huh. your big uh, English picture debut. I did not know that. So what yeah. are they doing so now in like yours? Right uh, they're up in the attic. He's she's about to show him all the oh, Japanese. Um, oh, the, that's the, why I got the mask because he has she because she has like samurai stuff, but she's Chinese. That's what was throwing me off. The, um, but, so she sewed up his thumb already. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm catching up to you guys because yeah, there's nothing. There is nothing interesting that was. Okay. okay so okay, we're. In but no, uh, yeah, Yancy, I did not know that. So what's coming off? What like raise the red lantern? They're like, let's put her in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, they wanted her for the Sharon Stone part, and I, I wow. guess it just didn't work out. But that was uh, she was the original. That was going to be her big Western debut, I guess. Instead, I wonder if they changed that port completely when it, they put Stone. Mummy Vice is after Geisha, right? Oh, she—that's right. I think it's after Memoirs of Memoirs of a Geisha. 
I can't, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't bet on that one. I have no idea. It is. Yeah. It's the, yeah. Point. Miami Vice is 06, Geisha is 05. But I mean, bef- well, yeah, I guess that's because there's just movies I know, but the other not America because it's like 2046 and um, Eros. Uh, she had the yeah, reputation exactly. of being the world's most beautiful woman basically in the mid 90s at that point, which is hard to argue with. This is later, but. Because well, she was with what's his name, um, Razor and Lantern. Yeah, yeah Zhang Yimao, like working with him a bunch, and then like, then there's some like weird Chinese government stuff that basically kind of split them apart for like a while. Yeah, because um, what Curse of the Golden Flower? I was like the reunion movie that they had. Um, I like that one. But uh, yeah, no, like her American career, like it, yeah, it never really took it. I, it's weird like looking at it now like yeah if you're saying that casino I didn't know the casino thing but yeah it did it was memoirs of a geisha which is still I mean yeah it's a, it's a big Hollywood production that basically failed because it's not very good and they shouldn't have done that but the, um, the, <laughs> that was like her American movie debut and then yeah Miami Vice and they like tried it and then Hannibal Rising it's like a real downshift as far as like prestige project to Michael Mann action movie to Hannibal Rising <laughs> um, and gotta finish up that contract somehow that's pretty much it right because then it's like Mulan is like the next American movie that she's been involved in right well and and this one is an overseas production so it was only picked up after by American distributors so it was under the De Laurentiis banner so MGM and someone else Weinstein company picked it up for American distribution this seems particularly they weren't samurai and, and this kind of thing and then you know fighting with a big stick this definitely seems Batman Begins. Like, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, very much so, and it's Can a you, long walk just to get. It's a long walk just to get him to wear the handle mask. <laughs> like that's really what the only reason. Uh, Can you imagine Brian Cox with a samurai sword? <laughs> no. Yes, not Showing a day goes by where I don't try to think about that. So in the book, the uh, the uncle, uh, Count Lecter. Um, uh, he gets he's here for this uh, stuff with the butcher guy and he goes back on his own to do something about it and has a heart attack and dies and because he dies something with his death causes them to get booted out of the house and that's how mm-hmm. that happens in the book and by the way what, what the butcher this, guy uh, is talking about is a myth not true just saying Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Give me a second. I apologize. <laughs> if you're watching with us, you're all like, oh. This has got to be an executive decision that you make early on when you're doing this stuff. When you decide to make a prequel, you're basically getting around and having to pay talent to come back, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they must have known we can do a, we can do a period pieces. We're not spending the Hopkins money. That's our gamble. Yeah, pretty much. And, I mean, and you can sign Gaspard Ulil to a five-picture deal on the cheap. He can grow into the age of Hannibal in in Silence of the Lambs. He'd still be doing it. Is this guy. What else did this guy? Did this guy? Dominic this West? No, no. Oh, for, okay. we're not at Dominic West yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, we're not. I was sorry. They were sitting in an office. Someone has to die for his brand. Didn't he? Can't That's just right. bring Dominic West here. That's right. Uh, not a lot is the answer. Brotherhood of the Wolf. He has like a small role in. 
Um, yeah. He's in a very long engagement. Um, the um, Jeannot film. Yeah, yeah. Um, not not an alternate in, title uh, for this film. He was the Taylor he's in the, he's in the he's in the Gus Van Sant segment of Paris Jatem. That tracks. I feel uh, sorry for after that. We're so toxic. I feel bad for this movie. I mean, he's been. I mean, he's working like he's man. I mean, he's a French actor. Yeah, he's, he's got credits. French stuff. So go. He's been consistently working. Yeah. So this didn't. Uh, he's just. He just. He's not a guy that transferred over to America. That's all. What do you think? He got he necessarily need to. Out of a hundred. Out of a hundred, what do you think the chances are, Anthony? Not a mask. It's just a thing they use in the. I know. <laughs> it doesn't bite his tongue off. That's so <sighs> funny. That's just grasping for some kind of recognizable. Yeah, stuff, right? Because it was destiny. It's like, oh, yeah. It's the answer to your question. The odds of the odds of Hopkins seeing this movie. I don't think he generally watches many movies to begin with, so I don't think he's really going to reach for what (laughs) he doesn't watch movies he's in. I'm sure so that he would watch this. I bet it's below five, below five percent. I mean, I, I doubt he watch. He doesn't seem like a guy that watches his own performances. So like, that's already outright there i don't think he's watching his franchise movies either and <laughs> let alone i don't think you know i think he's watching like his screeners and like stuff that stars like friends of his like that's about nope. it like I, right. I think he's far more interested in the, in the theater listening to classical music and hanging out in his garden like i feel that's that's <laughs> i feel like that's the opportunity in a nutshell right there watching tiktok videos to do all the latest dances <laughs> this is like art house friday the 13th right here yeah, it, does look it like really that. is i mean the, the bird, like when, yeah, kind of I mean, the, mur- the, the murder stuff in this movie is good. I, I do. Yeah. I think it, they're they're well staged scenes as far as how he gets his various forms of revenge and whatnot. It's a spare no expense movie. They obviously are presenting you with a classy production. You're supposed to go, well, I got my money's worth. Gong Lee's in it. Yeah. But like yeah, a lot the of those national productions, it's just kind of Jack Black's in it, though. <laughs> The problem is this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's just not a good. It like you know he's directed that way. Like you know they didn't cast him because he has no talent. They cast him because it pro- presumably he just was good on the audition. But as far as how he's being directed and what he's trying to do here, it's just it's, it's yeah, likable doing much for you. Fan friendly, you know, likable audience, audience pleasing, audience pleasing elitist characters are really tough to nail. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins can do it basically, but expecting this kid to carry the same. Oh, yeah, because it's a kid, so it's already like you know, you're already batting down because it's like this, just like a you know, it's not some one of prestige. It's here's some young pretty boy again, young white pretty boy playing. I'm watching him cut up the uh, the fish, the the mar- the fifth market guy, by the way. So, yep, where we yep. that's where I'm at. I like that he drew his head to show him what he planned to do later because it's like, <laughs> oh, he does, he doesn't have a picture of him, so he did that for memory. That's funny, <laughs> that's, go, that's a clever bit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Hannibal has bits. <laughs> he draws the person's head before he murders him. <laughs> That's fun. You'll never do that again. It's a good for a one-time bit that only one person sees. That's the kind of comedian. That's like an that's a that's like an Andy Kaufman thing. Right. <laughs> this does that the one time. <laughs> he does it for his memory bank. Jokes about Brian Cox notwithstanding, I mean, I could absolutely see a very young Mads Mikkelsen in the sandbox. Yeah, no, he fits. He fits the <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen Hannibal pretty well. Like I yeah. could see him growing up to become him, but yeah, not uh, Hopkins, not Cox. 
No well, to way. be fair, I mean, these movies aren't really trying to go of Manhunter at all, right? I mean, they, well, right. Because they, they replaced really it. On, they on, all, yeah, all Manhunter got thrown away when they made Red Dragon. They fixed that problem for people. Yep. But they had to imagine that was out of Elector, but Brian Cox was playing. You know what movie works as a better version of this movie? Uh, Perfume, the story oh, okay. of a murderer. I was just watching <laughs> my year before. Actor was from that. that ben Wishaw, Myers. Was oh, all... Ben Wishaw, yeah, okay. Ben Wishaw, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that movie... Like yeah. that movie is very it's it's both it has like a poeticness to like it's filming it's Tom Tykfer, so obviously mm-hmm. it's going to look great, but it has, you know, a lot of morbid stuff, obviously, too. Obviously, you know, the story's way different. But as far as making this kind of period drama with this weird campy edge to it, that movie's far more successful than this movie is. Yeah. And it has Dustin Hoffman going, a perfuma. And it's very <laughs> This isn't even the first prequel you would expect. You would expect the first prequel to be about Hannibal when he was free and killing people in the U.S. That would be this, the one they did the TV show about eventually. Mm-hmm. This is not even... Well, if, they, yeah. if, if they could sign Hopkins up and could presumably DH him somehow, like they probably would have done that version of it. This was not the... They should have taken and They should have recast Hannibal. <laughs> this is not the gamble they should have taken. Uh, I mean, if this I was... Agree. a six, I feel like if this... If this if this was a success, they would have made that movie, I feel. Like, they would have, you know, Hannibal, yeah. Hannibal, the next Hannibal's time. around. <laughs> and it's just that. He's just going around but Maryland again, they're, and they're New York. They're trying to and another make a property and have no business playing in that sandbox. Um, dinner is served. Hmm. Yeah, you should have watched Looking Fish earlier. It would have played better. The, the thing that was amusing me about it, I, I like Perfume quite a bit, but is that it has Alan Rickman playing a, a part very similar to Judge Turpin from Sweeney Todd. And then a couple of years later, he plays Judge Turpin and Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Alan Rickman was in a, he, he had a fixed position at that point. <laughs> Because he was like, he was just Snape every other year. Like, that's the other thing he was doing. So. Yeah. You know, you work around my Harry Potter stuff, or conversely, if Harry Potter works around me, then I'll never leave. Um, because he was such a yeah, you know, lead actor all the time in these movies. <laughs> to that franchise, I would argue he absolutely was. Oh, for, uh, yeah, for, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. He's not like, you know, it's not, yeah, 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 of course, of course. But, you know, um, yeah, for Potters, especially you by get, that point, for Potters, like every, yeah, you get yeah. the prestige English actors to go along with the all, all the yeah. good actors and uh, Ron Weasley. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that's me <laughs> because Rupert Grint is actually Rupert Grint's really good on that serv- on servant, he's, he's really fun on that. Yes, show. he got he he grew into himself. Um, and from what I gather, he seems to be a lovely guy who didn't remotely let the fame and fortune go to his head in a bad way. Um, apparently he bought like an ice cream truck with his first big paycheck or something. What a monster. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Now he has this Crispin Glover thing going on with his hair. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Sci- Science fiction stories. French Christmas. 
He's Jean Clover. <laughs> Willard. <laughs> Call it a murder. No kidding. You chopped the guy's head off. <laughs> we didn't uh we didn't talk about That's this earlier. We didn't talk about this earlier, but Yancey, did you've never seen this film before today, right? No, I did I had seen it before. I remember oh, you had seen it. Watching. Did you okay? So when when did you see it? Did you see it opening weekend? Oh god, no. I saw it probably five six or seven years ago. Um, oh, you're you're just like enough's enough time to watch Animal Rising. Yep. I just got on He's the day. Days all. I was like, it can't be that bad. But it was this guy. My, my my overriding impression was this guy is hard to take just to look at him. And that's a problem in a movie. He's not pleasant to spend time with. So that just sinks the movie. It doesn't matter what else they do. This guy's just bad casting. Yeah. I don't I hope I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like maybe not. Brandon, how about you? When did you first see Hannibal Rising? I uh, worked on the DVD. That's when I saw wow. it. Yeah. So it's ingrained in your memory? I only had to, I only sat there once and that was, I was just out of curiosity. I was like, what is, oh, no. So. Scott? Uh, I saw it when it came out on Blu-ray, relatively soon after it came out on Blu-ray. So either late 2007 or early 2008. Um, watched it once with Wendy. Barely thought about it up until this year. I will so tell I guess you I'm the only one that just raced to theaters to see this movie opening weekend because I certainly <laughs> did. I saw it in college. This is a popcorn a and a soda movie. With my, with my friend, with my friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Tall Ken. Uh, we went and saw this movie together. I tried to get him on this episode, actually. I tried to say, like, if you oh. want to hang out on Zoom with us and talk about Hannibal Rising, feel free. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, it was, it was out. That was pretty much it. It's like, all right, Hannibal, sure, let's go, let's go. And yeah, it wasn't good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a memorable experience, but nice. Uh, I saw it. I remember my the studio Weinstein Company with with this one. They were just like they, this was just a, a failure that they were just like, well, we have to put it out. Like they they didn't care. It was, well, it was, like, a, it was a February release. It right? was. It was <laughs> well, I mean, when with the DVD, they were like just they didn't care about any notes we had on things that were wrong. One version, just put it out there. It was. And normally they were overly caring about some things at times. And this one, they just were like, get the fuck out of our system. No, that's when you guys accidentally deleted the exclusive commentary track. And that's why we're recording this. I, did, I, I, I future-proofed it. Yes, Aaron, I did. Accidentally, you say. Yes. <sighs> How are they doing that wine well, we, okay, company? So- I in a while. <laughs> I saw a Miramax movie the other day, so I mean, at least that's going on still. Oh yeah, this was beat by Norbit at the box office. Nice. Twofold, yep, it was right. beat by Norbit. <laughs> Norbit. I like my head was or I'm like, well, there's, there's a new Eddie Murphy movie out, but I do not want to see that. I want to see Hannibal Rising. That's what I went for. <laughs> Norbit. Wow. I've still uh, never went to see uh, Norbit. I have never seen Norbit. I worked on that Blu-ray, so I've seen Norbit like six times. Oh, that's one you you needed to watch multiple times to, to get I all did. the jokes. I did. No, it, it comes back around, let me tell you. I think I saw Norbit at a screening with Peter Paris or something. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was like, Yancy, guess what I got an invite to today? <laughs> you're like, what? Something good? I'm like, better, Norbit. And you're like, guess let's what? go. Guess what? 14-year-old did a song on the soundtrack. We need to go. 
Oh boy. Yeah, this is the Norbit Handle Rising opening oh, weekend. I this this now. head on a stick thing, um, not in the book. Uh, she actually uh, messed with the body to make it look like a political assassination to get him out of it. Oh, well, that's clever. Mm-hmm. But this is more cinematic. So I, I will say that I, I love, like I've said throughout uh, these lesser uh, additions to the lecture thing, I do like that um, the television show Hannibal embraced this stuff, reworked it, uh, used it in, uh, in better ways. It all counted. It all counted. And I, I like that. I don't like that. We live in a pick and choose and ignore and rewrite and read. Let's start over days. And I always, I love the, the ones that just say, Hey, this is what we have. This is, this is part of it. It's history. I am. I have no idea if no time to die is going to be any good. I'm assuming it will be. But I do appreciate, even somebody that did not like Spectre at all, that they kept the bits and pieces. That they didn't just like, oh, nobody liked this. We'll pretend this movie never happened. You know, they well, they. Scott, I mean, he was he was a kite dangling in the wind. They needed to keep all this. <laughs> and whether that you know, I obviously I hope that works for them for a thousand different reasons. But I you know I, I admire them not just especially with Bond, where you know it's a. You could re- you know, we can start over every movie, and I think to a certain extent they are. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the actors are fine. You know, the film will look great. It's just a matter of, you know, making a script that isn't awful and yeah, redundant. The, the the Eon brain trust for the Craig movies are very yeah. devoted to the continuity. With, yeah. with despite paying minimal attention to Quantum of Solace, <laughs> they're like, yeah, Quantum was a. Th- Thing, but Spectre. You know. well, I, I think their problem with the Eon and with the Craig era was they rushed into the follow-up to the successful one really fast. And well, no, the writer strike yeah. created a problem. Well, <laughs> like that, well that, yeah, yeah, but they, well, they also, yeah, but they also tried like hell to get Quantum Assaults out real fast, and then after after well, yeah, Spy, you want ca- Spyfall I, I or Skyfall, they rushed Spectre out really fast. The Spectre fan, it did make money, right? It was a big yeah, Oh, yeah. Was, Spectre was, was really it's yeah, like the huge. It's like the second biggest one. Right in between yeah, Hunger Games and Star Wars. So, like, yeah, Spectre, what Spectre didn't have that could have been some of that bump is Bond was turning 50 that year. Uh, uh, Skyfall yes. came out. And then it's missing that uh, year of, oh, celebrate Bond. It was just the new Bond. No, so, I mean, Spectre still, Spectre still took to its time. It was. Yeah, I think that I think Spectre performed commercially as well as could possibly be expected under the circumstances of its release. Mm-hmm. It was up against a Star Wars film. It was up against, you know, to a certain extent, the Hunger Games finale. Uh, the thing with Skyfall is, as you noted, it was the 50th anniversary of Bond. The reviews were great, and it really had no real competition for general audiences' blockbusters from late 2012 to relatively early 2013. Because the big Disney, or the you know, DreamWorks's uh, Rise, uh, what was the was it Rise, Rise of the Guardians? Of the Rise of the Guard. That was over Thanksgiving. Um, and the big 2012 year-end fantasy spectacle was The Hobbit, which was a huge hit. It made a billion dollars, but it was playing to a very you know a somewhat more specific fan base. To the folks that were just, I don't want to see a big movie. What's the big blockbuster out right now? It was Skyfall for a good three months or so. And they saw it like Bond had been gone for a while, which he had. They had that. Yeah, it had been several yeah. years. And like, it's a very, four years. it's a very watchable, but like, it's not, you know, it's not, 
it's not quantum or sp- yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's it's a very watchable movie. Like anyone can walk into that one and be pretty sick. Yeah, I mean, with what well, it's singular. It's it's held on its own. There's yeah. no. It's not yeah, continuity yeah. until the next film. Like that's really. Um, and whatever my issues with it, and you know, we've talked about that for eight years or so, but it's a ripping action adventure thriller, especially when you're watching it for the first time. Um, it's filled with you know post-screening nitpicks or whatever, but it works like a. You know, again, it's one of the few "quote unquote" Christopher Nolan ripoffs that remembers that Christopher Nolan movies are above all, you know, incredibly exciting, intense popcorn action thrillers. You think that are fun? You think uh, Dominic? West they're was, serious, but they're fun. You think Dominic West was ever in the Bond conversation? I, I would put him in the Batman yes. conversation. Oh, yeah, he's too scowly. Yeah. Bond. He's too, he's, he's, he scowls uh, a lot. I feel bad. Like Dominic West is like that great actor that's not in a lot of great things. Like that are for like, well, you he, know, was like gonna, he has the wire, so he has the credit of being well, in I mean, one of the movie, best TV I'm shows of all film, time. Film wise, film wise. No, I, I know what you mean, but as far as like when you look back at Dominic, like I'm not feeling too bad for him because it's like, well, yeah, he gets work, career, yeah. He gets work. His film career didn't like take off huge, but he get he does have the benefit of being in one of the best TV shows ever made. So right. it's like, how bad is he really doing? And all well, no, <laughs> like, no, I, I, I know just, what you mean. Yeah, like, like yeah. every time, like it's something he's like aside, or it's like a bit like it's never like critical success, box office. It's never like all all hands on deck type success with him. I mean, but, what it comes down to is he's a TV guy. Like that's the end right. of the day. Like because he's like on the affair for like what the past. Yeah. several years also that ended i think but like it you know like he's he's a tv guy like yeah. that's his thing. i did like, like him with that movie pride he was a scene stealer in that one he was quite quite fun the um not the swim one the gay the gay like the gay race yes one. yes there's two, two prides i'm trying to think like right, 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 yeah. Not the Howard <laughs> yes the terrence howard bernie mac swim uh, swim story yeah <laughs> But yeah, he'd make. A, I mean, he would have made a, like a good Batman. I I think, and that's uh, if he was in the appropriate time. He'd be a good angry Batman. He just has like the scowl kind of look on his. Yeah, face. he's got he, the look he, like that this... guy probably could dress up like a bat, go get his ass kicked. Every well, he night fuck, he fucking shoes. ruled in Punisher Warzone as Jigsaw, oh, yeah. right? Him right. And, yeah. Like, he played the Joker. That was his time to shine. Like. Well, he's the like because this is like was Scott's thing with John Carter. He couldn't tell Dominic West and James Purefoy about yeah. <laughs> and like, but 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 those two could be Batman and Superman pretty easily. I would right. say like James James Purefoy could be a good Superman. <laughs> Purefoy was in the Bond conversation in the Craig time. I remember that. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like, yeah, he he fits. He has that. He has he has a smile. He has like a smirk kind of face mm-hmm. to him, where it's like I could see him being like a smart. That was the one. He was the bad guy in the following, right? The Kevin Bacon yeah. serial killer. The, the following, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's him. Mm-hmm. That's was he the guy that he was, was on. He was on Rome. Of, also. Uh, was he the guy that did the vo- or did the acting in V for Vendetta? But then they replaced him with Hugo Weaving's voice. Is that him? Yes. Is that him? Because now I'm trying to think of it's Dominic West. No, it was James Purefoy. Yeah. He was the original V, and he's still, you can still, his body is still in some of that yeah. movie. Right. 
Yeah. And yeah, he was in that Kevin Bacon show, which I tried to watch. That's got to be a weird ego thing, right? Like, I have to take you off this movie. You're not emoting well enough behind this mask where no one can see your face. <laughs> like, that's got to be dispiriting as an actor to hear. Like, I'm being fired off this blockbuster film because I'm not doing good enough as guy behind mask. Hmm. Well, and I don't know. Was he this, was he fired because of adequacy issues? They just wanted a name that people would somewhat recognize vocally. I, I, again, I don't know. I don't know the history of that film. But I figured they used Hugo Weaving because he's so many people would recognize, especially in a Wachowski-produced picture. Well, I think they got Weaving because they're just already friends with him. So it's like, well, this guy didn't work out, so we'll take our friend Hugo Weaving, who we used on these other Matrix movies. Um, and how easy is that a note? I not know that. Change the voice on this character's mouth doesn't move. It's going to happen every time, just because they can. Yeah, yeah. The memory drug. Yeah, yeah, there was there there were six weeks into filming, so I mean a lot of him's in it, like, but um, it's no, not no, like no, I, I, I'm asking, you know, like, it's not like <laughs> he wasn't in Rome, was he? The show Rome was pure no, he was in Rome. Rome. Yeah, he was um he was um yeah. not Caesar um um Jesus um the follow up um, Mark Antony, right? Right, Caesar was what's his name. Uh, Justice League. Here, uh, Steppenwolf. Yeah. <laughs> Steppenwolf, of course. <laughs> no, the first yeah, Car- Karen Hines, yes. Karen Hines. Who's We're also talking all over the more of this, more of this tragic backstory where we uh, get more of the um, what actually happened to his sister, which is they ate they ate her. By the way, so let's let's can we talk about this a little bit? This whole this whole reason why he's so crazy, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. It's because the evil guys came into his house and they decided this little girl is probably the thing we can eat that will nourish us the most. Not one of the big men that's with us, but this little she tiny was, girl. She, she was dying oh, of pneumonia. God. That's why they chose her. I'm sure they'd she eventually was, got to each other, and, but that's why they chose her. And nothing says good meat like dying little girl. <laughs> that's uh, definitely yeah. the way to go. Also, <laughs> Maybe they just needed a snack. Yeah. I mean, he ate a bird. And then, like, it was like, we need something just a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. Because they brought back, like, animals, and the animals are either frozen or rotten. And they're like, maggots, well, little girl, I guess, is, is the next logical choice. They tried. It's a good nightmarish scenario if it, you know. Yeah. Kids stuck with these crazy, not- I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's. After their parents like were just, parents like, like mowed that. down in some, like, war fire, there's, like, a plane and. Because they were filling up, what, gas or water? Uh, yes. Um, and yeah, it's it's obviously very silly that, oh, he's a cannibal because his traumatic backstory involves cannibalism. I mean, that's, that's you know... Head on. Yeah. <laughs> he became what he hated. Yeah, like, well, cannibal, the other, the other cannibals thing. terrify me, Alfred. Now my enemies will the share weird my thing. That's right. <laughs> I fell into a cave of cannibals. <laughs> I fell into a radioactive pit of cannibals. <laughs> so now I'm genetically enhanced. Now my now my enemies will Why share my hunger. <laughs> a radioactive cannibal came down from the rafters and bit my hand. <laughs> I was in space and got hit with a cosmic ray of cannibals. <laughs> now I have rocks all over me. <laughs> I, 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 
I took the ring off a dead man's finger and he was a cannibal, but now I can project images in my mind. What is your name? Hannibal. You have a last name? I don't have one. Hannibal Solo. I was in an experiment. They coated my bones of Hannibal with, with cannibal yeah, bones. There you go. So that's how I'm enhanced. It's funny to think about that. There, there was no backstory to this character until it was "quote unquote" demanded, and so this is it. Demanded by Dale Reynolds. I don't know if anybody else was like, "Man," but I mean, like, was that backstory in Hannibal? As a, I mean, because that was in the book. Just the fact that his sisters were eaten by Nazis. That was, but I don't think it was. I don't know if it was in the movie, but no, it wasn't in the movie. No, it was not included in the movie. But the backstory of that is there because Harris is there, but Harris is only there because De Laurentiis is like, well, the Batman and James Bond make money? Boom. We make Hannibal <laughs> like this. Well, what was the end result? Was that he held on to the rights, but then no, no longer? Well, he's dead, right? But the rights are not any longer. Are they yeah. still De Laurentiis? They are. Yeah. Okay. He's like, we have Gaspar Ulel. We are greenlighting that's, that's, this. We have a commitment. The whole, that's that's the whole thing with Clarice because De Laurentiis has the rights. They can't use him. <laughs> he lent them out oh, one no. time and it won best picture and he was just obsessed after. So you just, it's funny that that's the Hollywood or that's the movie scene we live in now is there's always somebody thinking, how can we do this again? How can we bring Hannibal back mm-hmm. now? We own this franchise. Yeah. We have to monetize it. <laughs> and I keep thinking in those narrow restrictions, filmmakers should still be able to flourish and make good movies that mean, Mean things, but it, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, no filmmaker sitting there thinking I'll make a bad movie. Like they all think they're making a good movie when they're making it. <laughs> well, then I mean, you get... guys in the forties making B movie westerns and bringing all this meaning into it. They had this restricted palette, but they still managed to make things that that were personal. Some of these franchise movies just don't. The ones we remember, that. yes. <laughs> I'm sure, but I mean, you I... get like your Todd Phillips who doesn't want to make a superhero movie, but twist his movie into the Joker and gets that made and gets someone like Joaquin Phoenix like interested like that's where you're at today almost where it's like well I want to do this movie how can I make it how can I take one of these B-level superheroes and make that movie but well and you know everybody complains about that but yet you know for example Upgrade made about 15 million dollars and Venom made 860 million dollars so we get the industry we deserve um, and the irony is, is getting to your point is that, yes, some of the stuff is good, but if the interest isn't there again, it, you know, Hannibal was a very good show. Critics loved it. It has a small but passionate fan base, but general audiences didn't care. Yeah. And, you know, you could say, oh, you know, they don't have good taste or blah, blah, blah. They didn't care about an artsy fartsy Hannibal cannibal show. Right. It, was, yeah, I mean, it was just, we- it was just weird that a will. Will and Grace was the lead in. Like that was, I think, was really that holding too. me back. I made that up, but still, I mean, there's just yeah, there's not really a, there's not really a thing wow. for Hannibal's. Wow. It's like an NBC mainstream show. Would that show have been more successful if it was a more conventional CBS procedural or NBC procedural of that time? I don't know. Maybe, but well, that helps a different crime. Is, you know, the show is what the show is, and as good as it was. If anything, the, the IP in this case was a, a hurdle because you have people that are interested in it. You have people that are not interested in it. 
And even the people that are interested in the straight IP, maybe we're walking and expecting something closer to criminal minds versus, you know, Neil Jordan's in dreams. So yeah. you're dealing with There's a 25% of the potential <laughs> audience actually saying, I like this and I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Did NBC pick that up to keep someone like a streamer from getting it? Because it really doesn't fall in with the network content at all. I do not know. Um, it's certainly, you know, if I had to speculate, I'd say maybe they were trying to get their own prestige cable type buzzy sensation. Yeah. Because this was you know, 2014-ish, 2013-ish and, you know, Game of Thrones, True Detective, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Here's a question I don't, I have I don't as know. Far as, hold on. I, I have a question as far as like basic cable shows that are, are tourist driven. Like, how many of those are successful? Yes, you, you can point to like like other like stations like AMC or something where like Breaking Bad is very uh, tourist driven. But are there any something like Hannibal that's not only like it made it onto air, but like was actually like on for a good amount of time? No, because Twin Peaks was hot for one Twin season like and the, then gone like a season after, and a half. Second, after yeah. a second season. Yeah, and then the um, reboot was only in season two, so it doesn't count. But then that was Showtime. The reboot, the, yeah, the reboot's on, on Lynch's dime. So if he wants to do another one, they're, they're they'll take it. But um, yeah, but like, are there like and even mainstream shows that feel driven by the filmmaker? Homicide lasted for as long as it did because a NBC was incredibly successful despite it. And the people running NBC really liked the show, and it was sort of a for the love of the game, you know, keeper. I mean, it certainly yeah. wasn't because tons of people watched. But even that show, like, still follows a certain pattern compared to something like Hannibal. Yeah. Loose, yes. like, well, it's yeah. recognizable oh, yes, as a cop show with cases of the week. Because like, I was going to say, Moonlighting yes. is a bit different, but it's still got the traditional yeah. safe elements to it, but it had well, much more clever I, writing. I'm I'm not saying it can't have like a basic structure that's recognizable right. to TV, but I mean, like, something feels directed by a very specific filmmaking presence. Right. Like Buffy, I guess, would be an example of that. Honestly, Twin Buffy Peaks and Angel is probably the best example of, and even that's a that's a very staggered success. But in terms of really delivering yeah, auteur mm-hmm. vision to TV, it's just not doesn't seem to work. Um. Well, yeah, and even in the the mid nineties. You know, the two serial killer profile shows that debuted almost simultaneously in, I think, 1996 and the much artsy, fartsier Millennium, despite having, you know, Chris Carter fresh off the X-Files was, you know, it lasted for three seasons, but just barely. Conversely, the far more conventional and fine in its own way, Profiler, which aired on NBC, ran for four or five years. Um mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's that many examples, period, of a show as artistic as Hannibal or Millennium surviving purely on ratings. X-Files is getting the, that like hit a certain sweet spot. I mean, that's not necessarily like, you know, the, the Chris Carter, Mark Snow style wasn't necessarily permeating through the yeah. <laughs> through the veins of I, that series. But it's certainly like it. It's very. It's a specific type of series. Lost, uh, Lost got to do its thing, but it still had traditional. I mean, it was a lot. No, Lost is getting there, but it's not as guys during these shows runs. They weren't really big filmmakers bringing their visions to television. That's what. That's what I'm trying to pinpoint. So that's why I'm thinking. I guess like Buffy and Angel honestly feels like the closest to that. As far that's very specifically Whedon, and it was successful. With TV, you got to hand off to different writers, different director. Like it's even more. You got to, you keep, you try to keep an aesthetic. You try to keep an aesthetic that you can have a through line throughout these directors. So it's never, 
big for sure i certainly recognize that and that's why it's it's you can see that with cable making it makes sense right because it's there's a different kind of mm-hmm. drive as far as who gets to produce that so you can have like breaking bad which is very much that's a very distinct style regardless fargo um fargo yeah the, 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 yeah the, what's his name um no holly um Noah, Noah holly yeah he has a very distinct like, a legion that is just survived how, for three years mm-hmm. yeah um and he's doing alien so i'm like okay i'll trust an alien tv show by him yeah and that uh, makes the, i mean it makes sense that a cable series can give more of a you know a lead to and push more like boundaries like so, take more yeah yeah so that's i was just curious if like if there's like anything mainstream wise that like was an actual hit for a lengthy period of time that fits the same but i can understand why it wouldn't because you're exactly right brandon it is a mix of <laughs> trading off a lot of directors and visions to make something that's generally even amazing stories program. didn't even right. amazing stories was not a huge i mean tw- yeah. 24 for one season was something like really different it was a popular show i mean it kept that format it became a sort of rote thing because they kept their format but for one season that was pretty experimental and challenging to figure out how you do this you know alias was very groundbreaking in terms of its structure but again it was never that big of a hit um it obviously had a fan base obviously as a you know people have very fond memories of it but it was never a blockbuster success um even the same way as well. oh yeah, yeah. absolutely 24 but i it's mean also it was, was ratings wise grasping for straws to the fourth season and if i want to get pessimistic and cynical here i would argue that it didn't really take off as a big hit until it kind of embraced its conservative audience so to speak <laughs> um <laughs> Season five was yeah. Well, no, the first four episodes of season six, it peaked on the fourth one when that nuke went off, and then after that, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's a very just, complicated conversation. Um, we, we yeah, talked over here. the uh, very elaborate. We talked about the very elaborate death scene of of Joe Chill, by the way, where yeah, <laughs> his, his head buttered off. and popped off. Yeah. Oh, that's the I other do thing. Like this film's like a. This film establishes the the cheeks obsession specifically with Hannibal, mm-hmm. and not just like yes, I don't better mean all of them, but like going after specifically the cheeks, which was that was my friend's complaint. We saw the movie that was Ken's complaint. It's like okay, like I don't remember the cheeks being. He read the books. He was a really big Thomas Harris fan. He's like I don't remember the cheeks being such a big deal for Hannibal and the rest of this franchise. Again, it's one of those dumb things where well, he bit a guy's cheek and saw the lamb, so I guess we have to make that a part of his identity. Right, exactly. I would say, is this now? The, I get it. it if you, I know why you bite that guy's cheek. <laughs> if you can distance yourself from the previous films, and let's say this is just not connected to them, and just starting afresh, is it better that way, or is it still Absolutely. just kind of? Yes, is there? I mean, yeah, there's less weight. There are 15,000 Euro trash movies that get <laughs> that people love that are technically not as good as this, but you don't approach it with any expectations. This, you ha- again, you can't help it. Like, it you it can't is. help it, yes. And there's more there's yeah. more weight on this thing, obviously. But that, I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still, still boring. I mean, I mean it's, it's still a boring movie. That's, that's my issue with it. Yeah. Euro trash movies are boring. They have five minutes of good stabbing and boobies, and that's it. And the rest of it's boring. <laughs> like police <laughs> investigations that go nowhere. Yeah. But there's a whole subgenre, you know? I mean, this is 14 I mean, I, years old, and I haven't seen a like cult fandom pop up for it at all. Like, it, and it's, it's a the time's been there. Cool. It's a rare. You would think at this point, Scream Fact would be like, oh, let's do the two disc release, but they won't. 
because nobody else likes this movie because <laughs> it's not very because it's it's not very good like that's the that's like it, yes it has handsome production a lot of horror movies like, are not very good that, uh, but there is a more of a genre but, in this world. A haunting. Jan Devine's The Haunting is a classic because it has good production value. It's not a good movie, but we don't get good horror movies, really. you got to think you can get, so anything even slightly classy like this should have a cult following by this point. But does not. Yeah, right. haunted, but there's nothing. There's no... The, hum- the problem the here is there's no, there's, I mean, the remake. There's no, ex- there's, no ex- there's no X factor to this movie. That's my, there's nothing here. Like it's yeah. just a kind of a nothing. It's bl- it's very bland. Like, yeah, it looks nice. Sure. It has things about it that ideally could work better, but it just, it doesn't have anything that makes it stand out. There's yeah, not this signature. It's cool. Things come from other movies. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, yes. it's a kind of, yeah. So it's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing to form around it because the people that would form a cult audience form the cult audience around other things that this thing aped from. So it's just like, okay. At the end What's, of the day in yeah, horror, what, I think you just go down and dirty rather than pretend classy to get a cult audience. Right. This yeah. No, that's fiber. fair. Yeah. This but is like yeah, boringly prestige, you know, yeah. it, it, well, it is, it's trying to, well, that's my issue of this movie. Like it does, it tries to have it both ways. It tries to be, yes, a prequel to silence of the lambs, but it also wants to be this like gory, you know, horror thing, but it doesn't embrace the camp appeal of that. It has moments where you could think oh yeah this could go a different direction and just like really really go full on as far as Hannibal being crazy with the killings and how gory he gets and the cannibalism and whatnot but it just kind of holds back from being more of that thing even in what I assume is the wonderful unrated cut you're watching mm-hmm. so, so good so good you guys left? don't even what's know what's for this it goes oh. from like a D to a D plus it's great no. <laughs> yep the unrated cut, that's the one with the big song and dance number, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason Biggs comes out with Eugene Levy and is like, oh, Jim. I'll find that on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, Put them cheeks no, in the oven. I'm coming home. <laughs> I, I do think the film of its own accord, distance from why it was made and how it was made and what it represents, it's... Again, two and a half stars, whatever. Watch painfully it average. <laughs> yeah, two, yeah, average category. Um, but again, you know, we we do need to take into account. I, I would argue we do need to take into account why it was made and what its creation represents, especially because it didn't work. Yeah, and that despite the fact that these movies tend to not work, we keep getting them. You know, no matter how many times Pan flops. I mean, God, Robin Hood's had three dark and gritty reboots, and only one of them was successful. You keep making people. It, it was the one from 31 years ago, 30 years ago that succeeded for a host of reasons that are not replicable today. The Costner one. Um, yeah. Which was also a bad movie. Costner. So, hey, Costner. That's so bad. That is not bad. I, I'm not the first one to call it a bad movie. <laughs> but, it's fine. And I've been defending it for 30 years. That's right. You it's and your anti-prejudice. No, I, it is what it is. I'd rather enjoy it, but I know... I read Roger Ebert's review when I was a kid. I get it. Um, it's passable. And my, and my grandfather was horrified by the violence. Uh, I took him yeah. to see it when I was alive. <laughs> um, you mean the the, the Robin Hood movie that opens with a man's hand getting chopped off? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird yes, way to go. That, <laughs> um, that was a slight controversy. I mean, in the day. Robin is just a, a, a 
is a, is a free to do. So it's not it doesn't even count as an IP, right? Anyone can do a Robin Hood movie. There's no value to it. That's why they make it because yeah. nobody and King Arthur pay, and, and pay for and it. Some of Tarzan these, and yeah, Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Is, is there any anybody can do Sherlock Holmes, right? We should do the League of Unlicensed Free, free Characters. I guess they yeah. did. I guess the League of Story <laughs> Gentlemen. That's, right? that's exactly the League of Story Gentlemen, which they fucked up completely. Yeah. So. <laughs> the League of Rights Free. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's 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 well, all these universes. Yeah, that's the Dark Universe. That's is their villain? Is, is their villain like the Phantom of the Opera? Is that who their villain is? And then <laughs> all those. in which uh, uh, and then the in the well, in the, IP the ones that weren't Prince of Thieves, the Opera, Guy Ritchie, and, Sherlock Holmes. Captain, ne- Captain Nemo. And yet right now, it's Clarice is, I'm assuming, not doing well, right? So they got to be firing up the, well, how are we going to do this again? Are we going to get Cannibal back, Hannibal back in the... Well, I think it's going to just get canceled. You know, if, it's, you know, yeah, if they that, can't that, survive without the collector, they can't survive. You know, it's hey, funny. You know, the, the pilot was terrible. Uh, I think it's gotten slightly better since then to where it's something I watched just half paying attention to while I'm doing other stuff. But yeah. again, it's, it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the appeal of the property. You know, it's, it's, yeah. You know, Rice Afonso, going in. Rice Afonso, he would probably make a pretty solid young Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Watching him in this yeah. movie. I'm like, you know, he, he could make a decent one. It's frankly a part that a lot of people could probably pull off. Just yeah, requires, creepy, you know, creepy European yeah. brunettes. Yeah, I, that's, there's a lot of those. Like this kid is like, oh, Ridley, come on down. They need to bring. <laughs> I wish he had the ponytail that Hopkins had in Red Dragon to tie it, the two the, together. That was the sequel. Oh, yeah. That was together. the sequel plans. That was what that was going to do in the sequel. It was going to revolve around that. Actually, it was around hmm. a big haircut day for Hannibal, and he just kept like people keep being rude to him on his way to the barber, so he keeps eating them. It's called Hannibal's Big Day Out. <laughs> it's a question for all three of you fellas. You were ta- you guys were talking earlier uh, about Brandon, especially you said that you really like when continuity, you know, when they don't just dump all the old, right? You know, but I think that's a new thing. I think, and I think that's a lot of what the MCU gets by on is they really attend to that idea that they snap together very nicely. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was that caused that to become a more attractive thing because obviously james bond for years and years was the opposite of that everyone is basically a new it's a new story there's no there's no connections at all is it television fanboys like what about that is what about that is well i think the kind of franchise that we think of is when we think about that thing is relatively new you know up until 15 maybe 15 years ago maybe you made a you made a movie it was a hit you made another one and that franchise existed until they stopped making money and then you moved on to something else you know i mean it's it's the idea of constantly rebooting these properties that were once successful again amazing spider-man was announced you know 11 years ago um and the idea of you know when batman begins came out in 2005 the idea of a reboot was so unique that plenty of critics and pundits that should have known better thought it was a direct prequel to Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this way of thinking, you know, like, you know, what do we keep? What do we lose? It's, it's a new conversation. This is a new kind of franchise filmmaking. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, Halloween H2O was weird in how it ignored the middle three films. 
Superman Returns was somewhat unique in how it just said that everything after part one and or part two didn't count. Um, it's also like there's a, there's a difference in there's a difference in the audiences that can pick up on these things and do something about it. And the filmmakers that are doing these things, like, you know, you talk about Halloween. Yeah. You can, you, you have these varying fan theories as far as like how you can connect these movies or not, but you don't have filmmakers that are, you know, the producers that really care at that point. I mean, they care to an extent as far as we want to please the fans, but they're not like going yeah. out of their way to make all this stuff have connective tissue where now you have filmmakers that have grown up with these things that are in control. And you have the the perfect kind yeah. of property, a comic book series, and you have all of the rights to all of these different people. It just kind of it fall it falls into place essentially. Like it was it was kind of a, it was it was organic in the way that well we can why not try? Which is what you're saying, Scott. Right? I mean, it's like it's unique because it's new and it's it's yeah. there for the taking. It's and there to do it, and it worked. So it's like well we can keep doing that. And I remember in the late 2010, or excuse me, the very early 20, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, it was somewhat unique in the way that Saw, for example, was just drowning in its own continuity, almost as a badge of honor. And it was very unique the way that Fast Five, you know, sort of accidentally created a cinematic universe by virtue of, you know, not getting the two of them back for a conventional sequel for the first two installments. So that, you know, everything would come together in this fifth film that was a terrific action adventure picture on its own. But if you were someone that had seen the previous four, and even better, if you liked the previous four, it was entirely superior cinematic experience that was on an entirely different level for those that either hadn't seen the previous films or just was very, at best, casually aware of them. And that's something that Marvel has done here. Yeah. I've talked about this before as far as the film, the people that are making these films now are people that have grown up with this kind of thing. And it's just like, they're finding natural ways to show off like the, what they've, what they've taken away from years and years of blockbusters and what they've seen already and how they can do things differently or ways that will like seem appealing to them. And so, yeah, like having layers of continuity or things that just work for fans, which they are like, they're putting that into these movies now. Like it just, (laughs) it's Um, you're in a, you're in a unique, you're you're in a unique place as far as we have the ability to do this thing that we merely talked about when we were kids or speculated about when, after we left the theater. Now, now we're actually in the position of power to make that come true. And for better or worse, that's what's been happening. (laughs) Like yeah, okay. and I also. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. I no, go ahead, go ahead. I think that James Bond would be better off not having to do that. I think I would. I, I think James Bond movies would be better off not having tendrils connecting to other movies. And mm-hmm. I don't know whether this helps every franchise. And it certainly, I think, works in opposition to the idea of, of talking about auteur TV shows earlier. Even in comic books, the, the art styles would be so wildly different that to me it never felt that that itself should have been a continuity threatening thing the fact that the hulk looks different in 16 different comic books and it never was so i'm wondering it just it sometimes strikes me not with you guys but it strikes me as largely as a, as, as a dearth of imagination like it's just this is a different yeah. movie don't worry about whether this character is in it or not because well, not doing that lets you do this other stuff they're, par- they're parts not people some people make the parts very good but they're parts like they can be recast they don't have to kill off somebody to keep a character around they don't have to cut off a storyline just because 
actors tired of doing it. Just you can recast them and continue telling the story. That's what we used to do. But I'd say it'd feel like a dearth of of ideas if there was so many of them. But really, I mean, there's only like three successful cinematic universes, and I'm and I generally like all dark of, universe. <laughs> the dark Robin tower Hood and dark tower yeah. yeah but i mean i like i like i you know as far as entertaining movies go i like the marvel movies i obviously love the monsterverse and i'm more or less fine with the conjuring universe the only three that have really worked successfully right these you know the dc stuff is is what it is and yeah some are good and some are less so but it, you know if every single if, if if every single franchise was doing this this kind of homogenized version of every single entry and spin-off and what have you just has some kind of flavor that feels similar to the other one. Yeah, that would get boring real quick. But I mean they haven't worked out that way. So it's hard, you know, I can't I guess I was meaning more like what? you know, it's the least amount of in terms of leaps of imagination, understanding that they recast an actor is is really the least an audience can do. And I'm we're gonna get to a point where I remember when was it El Ma- or Desperado came out and the original El Mariachi guy is part of one of his crew that comes later. Uh-huh. And then from that came the idea that James Bond maybe is a, is a, I feel like it came that James Bond is a code name and all the James Bonds are actually, that came That's out before. Joke, There's more of that. That code name stuff was before the Des- Desperado. And it's out. dumb. It's a point where people need that. And that's just, I hope we don't get there where you need to have an explanation for why he looks different from Sean Connery to Roger Moore. Well, we got to a point where people need origin stories. They need the, like, and it's tiresome. Like, you don't need that. They they need things spoon-fed to them now. But who's who's need in this scenario? That's general audiences, people I see on message boards. Like, they're... They but, okay, like, are the people on message boards general audiences? I don't know. I just, what I'm... Feedback I see with people wanting, like, stupid back... Like, you don't need it. You can get a... A, a good actor, a good filmmaker can give you a lot in a look or a mannerism or something like that. That I don't need a whole movie to tell me that. Well, we didn't get to see how he came up that way. Uh, I mean, Ray couldn't be just a powerful Jedi. We had we didn't see her training. We didn't see him. And then it's like, no. You're talking past general audiences at that point. Yeah, yeah. I think general audiences, again, it's what I always say with movies like, you know, ones I like and ones I don't, you know, Star Trek in the Darkness, Spider-Man 3, Rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi. I think outside of the internet discord, most people see those movies once or twice. They like them. They barely think about them again. And they move on with their lives because for them, movies are a recreation. You know, it's the same way they... People go to a sports game and they don't spend 50, you know, 20 years obsessing about that one time Jordan scored 50 points. Well, yes, they do. <laughs> well, some, some of All them, right. yes. But people, let's, let's, people having conversations about movies in yeah. social aspects will go there. That those That's for the most part not driving the choices that producers make when they come up with new ideas and concepts for the yeah. movies. Okay, Rise of Skywalker. Well, I'm they not, get burned when they do that. For, for the, I'm saying for the <laughs> most part. Yeah. Right. Six or seven people that watch Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max. Um, you know, and Warner Brothers knew that that was a, a, a cult fan base. It was a Hail Mary. But as expected, just like 
people didn't show up to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. They didn't show up to dread or uh, kick ass. Relatively speaking, there is snakes a, on a plane. big, big difference. There are snakes on a plane, which I, to this day maintain would have been a more commercially successful movie. It just been released as a movie. Great movie. Because, yeah. you know, I, I just watched it a couple a week or so ago. It's a solid three-star entertainment. It's fine. It yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the hype hurt it uh, for, you know, that's a, again, a, a different conversation. But, you know, you, you don't get general audiences into theaters by saying it's so bad, it's good. Um, I do think getting back to Yancey's really? I, I, we, we need I need this question to be answered, though, Scott. Like, if, if the, with absent the hype for Snake on a Plane, Snakes on a Plane, do you think the movie's more successful because they do go through with the name change and just call it whatever, Flight 45 or whatever the fuck they're going to call it, and don't call it Snakes on a Plane I, and advertise it as Sam Jackson's think- in a thriller and it has... Yeah, like is that a success? Yeah, is that a successful a nice movie by comparison? I I do think so because it also would have been screened for press and it would have gotten mostly po- mixed positive reviews. I mean, Roger, you know, for example, not to be cliche, Roger would have loved that movie. Yeah. Scott Scott and I saw saw it like two weeks before it came out and still went to yeah. the midnight screaming or screening. Yeah, because we we're like, oh, this is gonna be um, fun. I couldn't call it because again, I think the problem, intentionally or not is that the perception that New Line Cinema created with that film on opening weekend was it was basically come pay 10 bucks in movie theater money to do a live action MST3K, the movie show. Right. And general audiences, you know, they're not going to intentionally go to theaters to see a bad movie or a movie that they think is bad. And I think had the film been released as normal as this, you know, with reviews that said, yeah, this movie's a little cheesy, but it's good. It's fun. It has, you know, it absolutely delivers on its premise. Sam Jackson is compelling. It has a solid supporting cast. It has strong production values. It would have opened just fine. Um, but yeah, and it's it's it's. I maintain this day. I'd love to see the PG thirteen version because a lot of the R rated stuff felt tacked on, and it was tacked on, but it felt it. Um. But I, I do think one of the reasons that, that, yeah, I do think one of the reasons you are seeing more continuity dredged franchises like that is because for the last 10 years, very few straight reboots have been successful. Uh, legacy sequels or re, you know, reboot calls, whatever you want to call them, that has been a far more successful way to revive a franchise. Um, whether it's something like Jumanji, which is basically a whole new movie that happens to be a sequel to the previous one and you know, acknowledges the previous one happened or something like Creed, the, the, the force awakens Jurassic world, Fury road, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those have been far more successful than, you know, the straight up reboots. Um, and even a lot of the reboots, you know, spider amazing Spider-Man, you know, basically was a, in terms of perception and goals was a failure. Paramount star Trek reboot, those films were not super profitable. That's why they haven't gotten a fourth one yet. Jumanji um, is the answer to our question from earlier. Batman, as far as like spinoff, yeah. re- like successful entries in a series. Yeah, because it's there's Jumanji no, there's, is the exception to the rule in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Uh, but yes, you're right. Um, that was that was the only situation that I can think of where a B level hit spawns an A level reboot mm-hmm. in terms of. Success. With an entirely different, like it's yeah, not even yeah. like Creed or something, where you still have yeah. cast members. It's an entirely different cast, right? And what That's they did I'm is still, they I'm still, I'm still counting. I'm 
I'm still counting yeah. on David Allen Greer to be in Jumanji 3. <laughs> well, Bev Newworth was in the end of the second one. Yeah, so um, all, all the more reason to get David out, get, get yeah, Dag exactly. back. Hashtag get Dag yeah. back. <laughs> but that's a this perfect example of what Hollywood should be doing. I guarantee Brendan Fraser would eventually would have appeared in that Tom Cruise mummy series. Well, I guarantee the universe would have had more to turn in that good book. I don't know if there's an audience for it now. It's been a while, but I think if you know, I think a legacy sequel to the mummy, which would have brought back Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise and Odette Fair sure as hell would have done better than the version that we got. Mm-hmm. Would have done well enough to justify Brought yeah. the <laughs> Um Oh, this movie's still good. Anyway, I apologize. We just talked over like 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> to be fair, it's not exciting <laughs> 20 minutes, but it was. No, no, no. You know, we know there was exciting twenty because the, my favorite sequence of the movie is that whole elaborate kill where he puts the guy in the in the water and like after he like tricks oh, right, him right, by right. sawing off the arm. He tricks the guy after sawing off the arm of a cadaver to make him mm-hmm. think he's still at a desk so he can sneak up behind him and drug him. And then he drags him into a saw-like trap to drown the guy. It's very, That's a great sequence. That's the best part of this whole thing. Now we have some romance going on here, yeah. <laughs> um, is, is Thomas Harris ever talk about this, like what this character has done to his career and life? I mean, I would like to think Thomas Harris would have written some other interesting books. I think he's 80 years old and is fine, like chilling in his money. (laughs) We say that about. I think he's a lot like George Lucas, where he's like, eventually I'll make something else. Because unlike De Laurentiis, he makes money off Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, but there's got to be artistic fire burning somebody that good to write something. I mean, but I hear what you're saying, but to but to be fair, it's not like he was writing a bunch of books in between Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs either. I mean, if you wanted to do books, he'd do books. It seems like De Laurentiis like um, hooked him into this never-ending Hannibal thing. I get. I mean, Red Dragon came out in '81. Silence of the Lambs came out in '88. Hannibal came out in '99. Like, that's a lot of time in between all of those movies. If you wanted to like put something out, no, well, it's true. And it may also be the kind of thing that someone like he would take as a challenge. You know, I don't want to. I, I just wonder what else he's doing in that. Uh, like, I, I, he has, I, yeah. No, but I mean, but like between like Red Dragon, Silence before it got successful, but it's just Red Dragon eighty one before Silence of the Lambs goes in eighty eight. Like, is he just researching for like seven years before he writes the book? Like, what what is he doing to like? Is his wife a really famous plastic surgeon? Like, what is he what is doing to like keep keep things going? He's a really normal guy, just very private. They say that's an assumption. I don't know. I see partner Pace Barnes. Fair enough. Don't forget he did that black sun or black. What's it called? The Super Bowl thing? Yeah, black, black Sunday. Sunday in 70, seventy-five. Never <laughs> so. seen that or read the book. One of these days. It's just he's not the most prolific guy. So no. I mean, I, you wrote the script. Sure, Dino, this Dino, 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 script we're looking at. This here. is only screenplay. <laughs> okay, so. He wrote one screenplay. It's this movie. I, so I'm at um, Reese Fun's having his chest shaved by his mistress. <laughs> Where are you guys at? Uh, Hannibal with binoculars spying from the on his boat or something. No, from the uh, from the weeds. 
I mean, that's where I'm at. Is he spying on his boat or his castle no, or whatever no. the hell? He's got his, his Reezy goggles. Shaved, which is actually okay. the, 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 the skill they used on Amazon to sell it. Clearly wanting me to think that Reezy Fonz is playing Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> okay. I've, I've caught up with the shaven. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm zipping up to get to you guys. There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in this ten extra minutes. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Has Hannibal showed up with the gun yet? Nonstop. Full uh, uh, yeah, no, he's a, he's just in he's in the sauna hiding. He's about to emerge with the gun. Yeah, now he's in there. Okay. We get to the Hopkins cameo yet? <laughs> <laughs> where where Hannibal walks up behind him, he's like, "Can I buy you a drink?" And he's like, "Fuck off." Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the end where, where he's with the guy he's like there's a cop he's uh he's got a real knack for crime scenes they call him graham hmm. <laughs> it's so funny the like like the trying or like the little so like you start with manhunter science of the lambs hannibal and then work your way back down red dragon hannibal rising in the chronology of the story of how it plays out cinematically yeah Pretty vulnerable position Hannibal's got him in. And he's mm-hmm. splashing him because he's fun like that. <laughs> Hannibal's got bits, guys. I'm telling you. He likes having his fun. He likes to play with his food. I do like that the the woman when he shaved the woman that was shaving his chest when Hannibal has him pinned down, he's like, kill him, kill him. <laughs> yes. He's done with he's like done with this guy. <laughs> I'm getting shaving cream on my jacket. I like how this scene adds a wrinkle too, where he's he's being told that he's he's also he also took part in the eating of his sister, which he did not realize. Just somewhat interesting, I guess. Could, like conceptually, yeah, like the 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 bullet points of who Hannibal is. If you read those, you're like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Like I get that. Like <laughs> in terms of like the cinematic you know display of this, it's like all right. He's not a character. Also, um, backstory. That's really the, the whole thing. Yeah, he's but he's also that. a guyver because he made he made a bomb out of a glove and like some goo from underneath the stairs. <laughs> Classic Hannibal maneuver right there, guys. The the box office for Hannibal with Norbit—that's one thing. But the week after is insane because it's Scott Valentine's and I had Day, a great so Day week. Scott and I had a great Saturday morning. Oh my god! Really yeah, have, look at all look at all these new releases: Ghost Rider, Five. Bridge to Terabithia, Music and Lyrics, Daddy's Little Girls, and Breach. Oh boy! Remember movies? <laughs> and that wasn't Five a releases. summer. That wasn't a summer weekend. Oh, that was February. <laughs> also, Breach oh, was great. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, Breach was great. I mean, everything. Chris Cooper killing it. Yeah, everything in the top six <laughs> made ten, over ten million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, Reach had come out in October. He probably would have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. And Hannibal, yeah, really. Hannibal came out. It was a uh, second week, made $5 million. <laughs> 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 Can't compete with Ghost Rider. No. Norbit hung around, though. Norbit's still at number three that second week. Yeah. Yep. With $16 million. Demographically specific event movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good considering five other movies came out. Yeah, five. And it, and it managed to be three of them and only dropped 50%. 
And they're all fairly different from each other. Ghostwriter, Terabithia, right. Music and Lyrics, Daddy's Little Girl, and Breach. Like, none of those are the same audience, necessarily. You had, no. You had a variety at the box office. While having one of the most monumental and best superhero movies released. Yeah. Yeah, Breach and Terabithia <laughs> had a lot of superheroes. In it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Ghostwriter, which... It's not my favorite of anything, really. But it did open with around $52 million over the four-day weekend. Um, is it, is a white privilege great for Mark Stephen Johnson gets to make Ghost Rider? Oh, God. <laughs> All that Simon Birch money. Exactly. He's really cashing in on that Simon Birch money. <laughs> it's like, guys, I know, I know Daredevil did okay. It did bad. It did okay. Let's 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 yeah. cut it down the middle. We'll say let's it did mixed. All right. What if I did Ghost Rider and he gave me more money and I got Nick Cage? Well, I mean, John Singleton pitched it to us, but you know, so <laughs> Mark Stephen Johnson. What has he done lately? Well, did a blockbuster Fast and Furious sequel and Shaft and Four Brothers, but mm-hmm. the hell with all that. You did Simon Birch. Because when I think Ghost Rider, I think Simon Birch. And we and we, you know, we gave you money Birch to make a. We let you make your uh, your director's cut version of Daredevil. So I guess we can mm-hmm. give you another superhero property. Keep it coming. That's what Nick Cage said. Uh, when he read the script. Keep it coming. See, I thought he was going to dress in this <laughs> outfit to go kill people. Did like. Yeah, he gets why his own not? superhero costume in this movie. <laughs> like, why yeah. not? Well, yeah. I like you know, now, nowadays. The climax, this... They make sure to make sure what? No, go ahead. No, what are you saying? Well, no, they make sure to know that he's super duper evil, even right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh. Damsel in distress, <laughs> kidnap Gongli. Well, animal looks like you know, a bunch of sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Hannibal has his sturdy costume on, which these days, given all the samurai swords, would be cultural appropriation. <laughs> if this was trying to see what else Mark Stephen Johnson did. If this was Robocop, he'd say, bitches leave. <laughs> <laughs> when in Rome, these are these are Mark Stephen Johnson joints after Ghost Rider. When oh. in Rome. Uh, something called Killing Season? Is that a John Travolta thing? Uh, I saw that with De Niro. De Niro, De Niro and Travolta, both of them. Not in the time That's... of their careers you'd want that either. Nope. nope. Finding Steve McQueen. Yeah. Is that the documentary? That came out just like a couple... No, it's the move. That's a movie. It came out just okay. a couple years ago. Did they find him? They found Bobby Fischer, ironically. That was the weird oh. part. <laughs> <laughs> You're finding the soul stupid, stupid joke. Whoops! <laughs> and then, then they did that. He did that love guaranteed movie that was on Netflix and probably number one for like a three days before it dropped off the Netflix. Channel. That's why it was terrible. It explained so much. Because it, it was the director of Simon Birch. Yes. And one day thinking about his career, spoiler: I'm not a fan of Simon Birch. <laughs> Why, well, Scott? He's just—he's a—he's a little boy who uh, has a great purpose. He killed his best friend's mother. That bastard. Jim Carrey's in it. <laughs> yes. 
You know, one day Mark Steven Johnson's going to be like, you know what movie I kind of like that other people don't? Hannibal Rising. I wonder if there's any commentaries on it. (laughs) Oh, there's one. And when we go, when when our commentaries attached to the Scream Factory Blu-ray, I mean, we're getting gold. I hope the director of Simon Birch steps on a tack. (laughs) He's lovely in real life. He's living a fantastic life now in Italy somewhere, not even thinking of a second thought about <laughs> the quality of his movies. He's like, I'm a movie. <laughs> good for him. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> well, he had a writing credit on Christopher Robin. So he had that going for him. There you go. That doesn't help. <laughs> as much as I'm not caring about Gaspard, his performance is Hannibal. They do style him to be like, especially now. Oh, yeah, he looks like fancy he, you know, with his, it's very, it's very specific as far as like his slick back hair and his, his, the blood on his face and whatnot. Just to add to his um, good credits, he acted in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> Mark It'd be Steve hilarious Johnson if he was man, mm-hmm. in, man in Daredevil suit. That'd be a, sure, it's a Daredevil thing, right? Be. It's funny because well, no, because it's, it's before Daredevil, so it wouldn't be. Specific. He played movie oh. director. Mm. You know, at least in terms of his, his his visuals, this is what you probably would have thought that Joker in a Nolan Batman film would look like, right? Um, or like a Riddler. So that works too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, there's somewhat interchangeable visually. I've always felt. Yeah, um, one's greener. Unless you're going in a specific direction. Why so serious? <laughs> Here we go. Do you think there's anything they could do to bungle the Joker and, and ruin that IP? Well, well uh, they, they could they put tried. a tattoo on his face that says damaged. <laughs> that's the most that, that that's guaranteed money, the Joker. It's the only thing I can think of. It's guaranteed money right now, right? It would seem the only so. thing you can think of that's guaranteed money. More than Batman, more than anything, the Joker is a guaranteed hit of any franchise character there is crazy says something about the times we're in i think yeah he made a billion you know, dollars without batman really popular character. um uh, no I, I think uh bond is still bulletproof um you think although you i do wonder you think indiana jones will survive a, a recasting if they try <laughs> A recasting that well, uh, it, it'll make like money, but it won't be a hit. Dep- like, it if, depends if it works. I mean, we could be all like, "Oh, that'll never work," and then what if it did? Well, yeah. I mean, if you find an actor that people want to see in in a, in a swashbuckling action adventure film, and you know, if it ends up being a ripping James Mangle directed period piece adventure then i could kind of see that working i can i can see i can but see it making like you can make sure I, I can see it making money yeah. but i can't see it being like a you know this is going to define generations to come type of situation i don't think we have that no, actor all, yet no. i don't think we have that actor yet that i could see all the the people that they named you, you know what you're going to get with them so it's like it's Pratt or somebody i don't yeah. i don't i don't think it's enough to I think it's enough to get people curious to go see, but I don't think it's enough to like push it over some extreme like they pulled it off edge. Like, there's never been a yeah, movie but, character that a one actor owned for forty years that they replaced 
has there been solo a star wars time. story <laughs> uh, star wars yeah. But they, I mean, what's yeah. replaced? Like, is like, it's like, did like Creed replace something, or is it just like a variation on well, not the Rocky. same universe? I know what you, yeah. Was the value of a legacy sequel versus a reboot? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Then by default, you can't have that. You know. Yeah. I mean, and Mad Max isn't that old, but that wasn't yeah, like yeah. the sell necessarily. The value of Mad Max has always been George Miller. I think. I think. I, I agree. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't really it's never been a super huge franchise. And we, we forget we forget Sean Patrick Flannery has played Indiana Jones more times than Harrison Ford. That is true. <laughs> that was the, the little kid, whatever his name is. And that little the type kid from yeah. Nixon. Yeah, the kid who played young Nixon also played <laughs> Yeah, more times than Harrison. So um I mean, yeah, people I mean, are like, oh, you can't do it. I'm like, they already have had other actors play Indiana Jones, older, oh, like super old with the eye patch. But it wasn't him. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't conflicting with Harrison Ford because it was a different age. Right. Remember when yeah, they brought playing specifically the three of the jazz or whatever it was, where Harrison Ford's got yeah. his fugitive beard and he comes driving into that show for five minutes. Well, to get also, to get back to that to to get to get bleh, to get back to the other point as far as like define you know that kind of de- defining character in a film series that can like launch like that I think the the other issue is you know Indiana Jones and characters like that the Star Wars stuff or whatnot that's all based off like pulp stuff that those guys liked when they were young like mm-hmm. what's yeah. the stuff now that people liked when they were young it's comic books right I mean that's what it is like that's the, and but is that gonna Beyond like within a franchise, is there going to be like a singular thing like that that's going to take off in that same way? I don't see it happening very often beyond just the next comic that you adapt that turns, you know, works out well enough. Like, is there, is, you know, you need a, a completely new comic book character that has an actor that's just in the right place at the right time that just works. And I don't, I have no doubt that that will happen, but it, you can't predict what that's going to be, right? Right. Or if it'll we happen on the first about- first try out, it might be the one that picks up in the sequel where you're like, oh. Yeah. Are we talking about just general new to cinema franchises? Are we ever going to have them? Is that the question? Or I thought we were talking about replacing something that had been around oh. for this one. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> Are we? <laughs> no. We're in the big finale. Yeah, we're at the finale now. Risa Fon's gonna like try to cut something, and then he's gonna fuck up. And guy smashed by a boat. I guess Peter Sellers played Inspector Clouseau for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but before Robert, before Roberto Benigni took that franchise to a whole new level. Well, Steve Martin. <laughs> You've got John McClane, Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's actually uh, playing that part. Well, and again, well, it's, Fox it's, dumped that. That's the issue with so, these. That's that's the issue with these cinema first characters, which they are defined by the actor that played them. Ripley you know, with, with Batman, aliens. It could be, it could be, yeah, it can be anybody underneath the mask. So it can be a Spider Man. Uh, um, but with something like you know, Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. John yeah. McClane is Bruce Willis. Um, and you know it's 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 different when it's it's even James Bond, which which was at least a novel series beforehand. Um, was that seen as a surprise when Roger Moore did when that series kept going, or was that no? Because Roger Moore that was that he was in the he was in contention to begin with. So. Yeah. yeah, it also was almost the only. Hmm? 
you know, there weren't a lot of other franchises that offered that level of action, adventure, and spectacle. You know, travelogues, gadgets, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was, you know, up until the 80s, it was James Bond or nothing. Right. Um, it, was James, it was James Bond and Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Planet of the Apes is yeah, the only other franchise. Yeah. yeah. And, and you had the Hammer, the Hammer Dracula, which were period yeah. horror pieces. Um, and you know it's it's you know you know Enter the Dragon obviously could have been a contender had Bruce Lee lived, but because he didn't, it really James James Bond really didn't run any trouble into the until the eighties when it was right. up against Indiana Jones, Ghostbusters, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, RoboCop. AIDS. When it was not only not the AIDS, yes, of course, <laughs> you know Miami Vice and you know to a certain extent Batman. I don't think it's a coincidence that License to Kill stumbled opening in the summer of 89. Right. Um, and that's why Gold oh, was so important six years later. This this is oh, when he tells right. him that he was that he ate his sister. I forgot mm-hmm. I thought that was earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the part where he took. Yeah, okay. That was that was the ace up his sleeve to in case Hannibal gets to me. <laughs> let me let me drop this nugget. Yeah. Well, and he has he has the the dagger so specifically placed and just magically gets hit by the bullet in there but oh Hannibal knew that was he knew he was going to get shot directly in the shoulder blades and it was going to hit his sword that's an interesting talking about James Bond and Goldeneye that, that's an art in and of itself is timing the reboot or bringing the character back successfully I remember seeing Goldeneye in the theater opening night and when the big stunt happens and he's falling after the plane everybody just exploded into Applause! They just wanted James Bond right then and there. Yes, but the franchise you know, had to prove that it belonged in the same sandbox. That it yeah. was one of the one of the, if not the biggest, and obviously it wasn't the biggest at that point. You know, action spectacle blockbuster franchise in a world where you had Die Hard and Terminator Two, and you know the Batman films. Um, and that's what that it's still like. It's still yeah. one of the ones that's doing it. Like it's one of the yes. few ones that's doing it at that level. There's not another yes, franchise right. where you can, you can't, you don't have another franchise where the cult, the, the first 10 minutes are a guy jumps off a dam, yeah. then rides a motorcycle off a cliff and then catches a plane. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. You know, the same thing with the prequel Star Wars movies is that, you know, it wasn't really until Revenge of the Sith where you had a Star Wars film existing in an environment where it had lots of competition for that level of scale and spectacle. Because by 2005, you've got Spider-Man, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, did I say Matrix already? Because Yeah, Matrix. Um, where yeah, it's really not the only game in town. And I've always yeah, felt Star Wars is still a hit. Yeah, oh yeah, it was still huge. Um, and I still maintain the last 40 minutes of Attack of the Clones, and especially the first 25 minutes of Red of the Sith, was basically a, a get off my lawn, I'm still the king of the hill here. Yeah, for sure. It was a show of force. Ooh, puns. Oh. Nice. Oh, yeah, not intended. See, now he's carving his sister's initial. <laughs> Is this where he rises? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was he was slowly crouching most of the movie, but he finally rises towards the end here. The cannibal rises. What are the greatest 
films with some form of the word rise in the title. What was the first rises, by the way? Now that you're saying it, yeah. uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is pretty darn good. Yeah, right. yep, that's true. Uh, that's the that's Ape series the with the unfortunate titles, but great films. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I have my issues with Dark Knight Rises, but it certainly has aged well, I think. Even as someone that's uh, Rising Sun with, with uh, Wesley Snipes and Sean Connery, there you go, yeah. Yes, the prequel to Sun. <laughs> Rising Sun. That's that's everyone's favorite Michael Crichton uh, thing, I think, actually. So. Everyone. The Black Moon yes. Rising with Tommy Lee Jones. I just saw that. There's a few of these. Hold on. Uh, uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. We're famous. Oh, Rise. Yep, yep, yep. Is that what started this trend? Yes. Was Rise of the Machines. It started this trend of sequels with Rise. <laughs> I don't think it was an intentional uh, trend. I think it was just something that people latched on to. What was the first one that was it Rise of the Machines? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I mean that's 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 certainly a big one. <laughs> I, I still maintain that the Dark Knight Rises was a title that came up after everybody just completely forgot to think of a title, and they had ten minutes before the meeting. <laughs> I, I feel like nice. it's like uh, let me do, Nolan being like, let me do whatever I want with this film. You can name it. <laughs> like, I don't well, that, care. That too, probably. Um, well, let's see. Ni- Nineteen ninety-eight was big. We had Deep Rising, and. Um, Oh, I just had it. What was it? Um, uh, Mercury Rising, of course. Oh. Ah. <laughs> um, the gear for Rising. Uh, yeah, this film climaxes taking his revenge and eating the guy's face. Because again, that's not just something he did that one time. That's a part of his identity. There was the film Rise. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember uh, your snop, your uh, excerpt. Wikipedia comes to life. <laughs> 300 Rise of an Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, the first in the trilogy, The Wind Rises from Hiro Miyazaki. I'm sure he's <laughs> making those sequels. <laughs> Rise of the Guardians. We talked about that tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how long this movie Underworld, is. Underworld, Rise of the Lycans. <laughs> oh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Forgot. Yeah, I like there that you one. go. Yeah. The Van Wilder, the Dark is Rising. The Carlito's Way sequel was that Rise to Power? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that might there's, be it. There's Van Wilder two, The Rise of Taj. Yep. that's pretty um, legendary. There's um, let's see, uh, the Cohen Brothers of Rising Arizona. That's a good one. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. Mm. We're towards the end here. Hannibal's killed almost everybody except one last guy, and he's gonna get him good. I think we see it off screen. <laughs> you do, if I recall. Because we can't show that. So if you see people that are watching the extended cut, is there anything of interest that we didn't see? Yeah, the ten minutes is the best part of the movie. Yeah. You, that's, <laughs> well, that's why the out now night's extended commentary. <laughs> All right, so the uh-huh. ten-minute car chase in Venice. So, so in the book, he doesn't fake his death. He manages to get away with stuff, and he goes to study in Baltimore. Um, oh. Yeah, but this in this movie has us believe that he fakes Hannibal Lecter fakes his death, only to go to America to go by the name Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> the famous I mean, it, it, Skywalker. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like going to Tatooine and hiding a kid named Skywalker yeah. and keeping his name Skywalker and then changing your own name as the one of the last Jedi in the realm to Ben Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never find me. Everybody everybody's pretty cool in, in Tatooine too. Famously cool, so they won't they won't rat me out. I can't wait for I can't wait for them to explain all this in the Obi Wan series. Like we need to really work, you know, because these are what fans complain about. So we need. That's to what, I these guarantee questions. you. That's going to be a big part of it. I guarantee oh, it. It's like, oh. you know, Dexter Jetster will walk up to Obi Wan. It's like, hey, Obi Wan, why'd you do? Why'd you leave Luke Skywalker here? Name him the new Luke Skywalker. <laughs> be like, well, let me tell you a story. funny story. The last five episodes. Oh, <laughs> uh, the name Kenobi. It's like the Smiths of the galaxy. My um, funny thing, my uncle was always called Ben, and I thought that'd be a good alias. But what about your last name and the fact that you look like yourself? You know. <laughs> no one will ever believe a Skywalker would live here. So we'll see why Uncle Ben thought he was a wizard and called him dismissively. This is gonna be this is gonna be great. When we all tweet about how great Obi Wan the show is on Disney Plus to shill for. Right. <laughs> well, keep us wrong. I'll happily I'll crow. <laughs> I got my check today, so it's obviously getting one positive episode review. So, <laughs> all right, and Hannibal has risen. I'm not, I can't Hannibal find a, rise. I can't find a popular franchise where Rise was a thing before Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. That might be the one that's we solved another of life's questions tonight. Oh, I, yeah. The listeners all submitted questions before this one, and that was one of the raises. Like, what was what was the first Rising? <laughs> <laughs> that's a place so there were just fewer franchises overall up until about 15 20 years ago now that's all we get it feels like yeah yeah but now they I have mean, to get it's... now they have to get clever so it's uprising rise of this resurgence re- revelations, revelations. <laughs> a new legacy revelations okay. a new Revel- legacy animal revelations which do we use dawn or rise dawn or rise what if we use both? young what blank we- colon a fast and furious story colon a star wars story yeah, Ra- yeah. rise of the dawn butch and sundance had it right the early years <laughs> done <laughs> <laughs> In those days when you just missed the number two. <laughs> well, yeah, there, was, there was a while. For this, movie, for this movie, in the three days since I've watched it, it has not gotten better. Uh, <laughs> no. we've, certainly, um, <laughs> we've certainly got over it with a fine-tooth comb to talk about many things about Hannibal Rising, such as the James Bond franchise, <laughs> Star Wars, sequels, comic book movies, various <laughs> castings of characters. <laughs> <laughs> and the cr- commentary where it might not have been one, I think. And the career of Gaspar Dubla Hill. <laughs> listening to this right now and dating our guts. <sighs> Good times. Uh, yeah, but uh, with, with with that in mind, I think we can wrap this up. Uh, you guys are at the credits, right? Not just it's not just Scott and I. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the credits. Okay, okay. <laughs> that'd be funny if it was still going. The credits are rising. Uh, but- they are. They are. They are. They are right. It's, it's not. A, it's not a Fincher situation where they're going backwards. So we all it worked out that way. And Kevin Spacey as Junk Jack Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just the end of the movie. This is the end of our Hannibal Lecter series. It's over. This is we've accomplished something and, um, remarkable and yeah. unprecedented in movie blogdom. 
And I, I think we've come across many revelations throughout this uh, commentary franchise that have all uh, culminated in what I think is the the apex of commentary recording for podcasts. So uh, I, I'm glad that you guys were here to enjoy that with me. Like, that's really... Imagine we now consider that just to the series. I'm yeah. sorry, Peter Paris couldn't be here. So I'm sorry, Peter Paris couldn't be here to talk his favorite of the series, but we hope we did him justice. The underdog. I, I, the underdog yeah, of the, the series. Underdog, yep. It's the youngest yeah, one, so of course he likes all, it. It's the most recent. I did make... I did make us all underdog trophies for this franchise, so I hope they get in the mail <laughs> soon enough. Um, but uh, with, with all that said, as we wrap it up here, um, let's uh, let's let's go over. So let's go over where you guys uh, can find all your guys' work. Let's start. Let's let's go from top to bottom. Yancey, where, where, what are you doing? Where do you want to plug? Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to plug much. I'm still deep in early fatherhood, and I'm a famous underachiever. So right now, if you want to catch my action, you can catch it on this uh, this commentary channel when you guys invite me. Um, hopefully eventually there'll be a blog or something because I do enjoy talking about movies with you guys. Scott Mendelson. Uh, business as usual, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. Brandon Peters. The Brandon Peters show.com. Uh, that's my podcast. It's everywhere. Podcasts are found. My written stuff's at why blue.com. And you find me on the socials at Brandon 4 K U H D. You can also find me on wisely.com as well as I leave entertainment.com. I uh, occasionally get some stuff out for a variety. I just talked to the stunt coordinator for Mortal Kombat in that regard. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All the episodes of this podcast uh, you can find on iTunes and everywhere you can find our show. You can find us on all the socials as well. Um, I do thank you, Brandon, Scott, and Yancey for joining me for this uh, commentary track and generally this series. You guys were very on, on varying entries of all of these. Mm-hmm. Great times. Mm-hmm. It's an honor and or privilege. And uh, coming up in June, we got some options, but I think we're going to talk about the first Fast and Furious movie. I think that's the uh, that's the play right now. As we've as as Brandon, we, we famously have done two Fast and Furious and Tokyo Drift. So mm-hmm. it just makes sense <laughs> to do the first one. Right. Before, um, before F9 colon the Fast Saga arrives in theaters. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be the plan there. Get your um, Coronas ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that is that is going to do it for this commentary track where the credits for a two-hour movie are still going incredibly slow. Uh, so with all that said, uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, so long and goodbye. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at BrandonPetersShow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 